Oh, uh, you are a card. And, and and that's what she said to me, and that was my actual response. Oh, so it was, it was funny. Um, <laughs> Glad you taped it all on VHS. Absolutely. Hi, I'm Ben. Hi, I'm Tom. And welcome to part two of the 90s rap. Now, if you haven't listened to part one, you've missed out on all kinds of... What, what, was, in, <laughs> what was in part one? I can't fucking even remember. Oh, look. You the, m- think there was two white guys talking about stuff for a you've bit? You've missed out on some antics and all kinds of conversations about things in the 90s that um, many said were probably best left forgotten, but <laughs> we brought them back up. Um, so go listen to that, or don't. I don't really care. I'm not. This is one of those podcasts where it's like, if you haven't listened to you know part 17, you couldn't possibly understand what's going to go on. You'll understand what's going on here. It's just talking more about 90s stuff. I think we've got some awards for like... Mm. Oh, there's... Fuck, there's one about like... Um, Best use of day glow in oh, set design. Yeah, there's, there's, there's all kinds of... Widest lapels on a female shirt. Yep, there's that one. Tallest <laughs> beanie worn by a boy band member. Oh, there's all those. And Roundest, yeah. smallest John Lennon glasses. Yes, correct. Most That's... pairs of Doc Martens owned by a teenage girl. Yep. We've got all those awards um, and a lot more. Just 90 stuff, yeah. Exactly. So so strap on in and, and um, thank you for listening to part, assuming you have. If you haven't, then ignore that. Thanks. Go back and listen or don't, as we said. Yeah. But yeah, strap yourself in for part two of the 90s rap. And if this, if you've got no interest in this whatsoever, that's fine. Just wait till next week where we'll be getting straight into um, the year 2000. Mm. So um, hope to see you then or, or now either one yes. thank you <laughs> thanks, thanks. That was, that was, do we need to redo that that was fucking awful is it? so, <laughs> just keep it so, I think it was oh, so fucking hell. Just, yeah it's fine so yeah look I've got a few awards to go through sure um, hand them out not, not some of the big ones we'll get to some of the big ones later but certainly look um, I'm going to start with where will I start I think here Tom look um, I've got the you really need to read between the lines lyrics award, Tom. <laughs> sure. And for that one, I'm going to give that to Moose T. Horny. Ah, yes. Yep. Another um, horny song. I think it's something that, yeah, you, you really like. The thing is that you really need to, there's a, there's a nuanced meaning to this song and it's, <laughs> it's not something that uh, you listen to this the first time you hear no. it, you might not quite get it. But you listen to it a bit more and then finally I think you can tease out some of those finer points. And of course, I refer to these lyrics, Tom. I'm horny, 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 horny. So horny, I'm horny, horny, horny. I'm horny, 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 horny. So horny, I'm horny, horny, horny tonight. Ah, that's good. Because I was starting to wonder at which exact, you know, chronological point he was horny. Yeah, exactly. So you're going to really got to sort of tease... I mean... Do I, do I need to say them again? I don't really know whether <laughs> if people at home get where it's coming, but yeah, you need to sort of listen to this, tease that out. So I think that's why I gave that award to those guys. It also features a lyric that shows that people didn't really understand the information superhighway in the late <laughs> 90s time. It's got, you got me horny in the morning, you know. I tried to call you, but I can't find the telephone. I sent a message through the internet, but it rejected. I wrote a letter and I sent it with the post. So there you go. Okay, so I mean, it's a... Fucking life, life-changing story, isn't it? It is absolutely, and I think what's unusual about that is as well. I think that you know, if one is horny, you know, wake up horny as, as she sort of mentioned. Sorry, I'm just gonna click back on those lyrics. I'm horny, horny. Yeah, it appears that she is horny. So okay. she's horny in the morning, and she says, "I'm fucking 
it's a, it's a female singing this song <laughs> yep. as well. So she's saying, I'm horny, horny, mm. horny, horny. Picks up the phone, okay, yep. tried to call. Uh, she can't actually find the telephone. Mm-hmm. So she's like, I'm going to give this guy a call. And that <laughs> makes sense. You know, you're horny. Call up the dude. Come over. I'm horny. So it's just like, can't find the phone. Okay. That's the most immediate way of communicating. Step two, I'll send an email. Yep. But it's 1998, 99. So she's mm-hmm. like, I'll send that email through. Well, she's probably at the public library. Exactly. So yeah, she might have run out. It's, it's like a dollar per 30 seconds. Exactly. So she's probably run out of change to For feed sure. into the giant machine that you got to put. Exactly right. So she sends that email through. Hope just so, like the email just says, I'm horny, 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 <laughs> so horny, 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 horny. And then just like, you know, come around if you get the chance. That mm-hmm. gets rejected. Yep. So then she writes a letter. Now, this makes no sense to me because the phone is just like, look, I want this dude to come around and bang mm. me today. Yes. If preferable in the next half an hour. That doesn't work. So email says, look, maybe he'll read this today and come over yeah. within the day. 24 hours. 24 hours, exactly. The letter is just like, <laughs> we're talking a seven to 10 day turnaround here. I mean, it's, you know, Australia Post, it's going to take a while to get yeah. that letter. He opens it up. It's just like, oh, what? So... You know, fucking hell, it just makes no sense it whatsoever. So for sure, I mean, just try and find that. And then the thing is, if she sends the letter, sends the email and it says, give me a call, mm-hmm. she can't fucking find her phone anyway. So none of this makes, I don't really know what the hell is going on with this. But yeah, but apparently, um, look, I, all I hope is that Moose T did get fucked by someone <laughs> at some stage. So The weird um, thing I always thought about their name was, you would think it would be spelt Moose like the animal. Tea. Yeah, but it's not. It's spelt moose like the dessert. Yeah, it's, it makes no fucking sense at all. I, I will say that I mean, sure, the mention of snail mail is pretty fucking dated. But I'll say that I'll give them this: nothing sounds as dated now as a song that mentions either a beeper or yeah. a pager. Oh, at exactly. least by by compared to that, for some reason, a letter does. There's nothing so ancient as a song that hit me on my beeper. Oh, that like, sounds yeah, for sure. <laughs> Snowman will never die, Tom. And look, I think that um, pager. Yeah. That was, you might as well have send me a fax. Send me a fax. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And look. Um, I am married, but if I do ever find myself single again, divorced for whatever, I will certainly be writing someone a letter through the post <laughs> that just says I'm horny, horny, mm, horny, horny, mm. and see, see what with, happens. With see like a with like a <laughs> with a SLR camera analog photo of your genitals oh. that you've had to take <laughs> then take into town yeah. to a yeah. photo processing booth, give to another human being pay money for, wait a week, come back, get, take yeah. back, then sticky tape into the letter. Exactly, you know? yeah. I think a lot of people sort of forget that um, these days a dick pic's so simple, isn't it? <laughs> so simple. Yes. You just whip the phone out, mm. take a photo of the dick, and then just put it straight onto Snapchat. Or, Even an um, Instamatic camera yeah. allows dick pic technology. For sure. We but, didn't have access but back to it. In, back in Moose T's days, um, yeah, dick pic, you're right. You had to snap <laughs> it, go down to Stellard's, get it developed, <laughs> wait 24 hours. Oh, you had, to pay, you had to pay more for 24-hour development. You know, if you, did, if you were short on cash, it might take a couple of days and then you got to tape it in and then mail it off and it's just like, mm. Moose T's probably, she's probably got some other dude by then, so who knows. But anyway, great lyrics. Yeah. Um, very subtle, but something that I enjoy. Have you no got a, you got any other little categories there? Um, fastest way to end a relationship award, um, <laughs> sure. and that goes to um, human nature with telling everybody. So um, is that what the song? It's called telling everybody. And the lyrics <laughs> the lyrics just go, Tom. I'm telling everybody. I'm telling everybody what we did last night. 
telling everybody, Jeez. telling everybody what we did last night. Are you really telling everybody? Is that supposed every to be single fucking person that you run into? You're telling them. So everybody, all of them, every single person that you run into, you're going to tell them what you did last night. As Vanessa Ramirez once said, everybody, everybody in absolutely. the whole wide world. So absolutely everybody, absolutely everybody. I mean, telling everybody. I don't really. I mean, human nature. I mean, these guys suck shit. I mean, that goes without saying. But I mean, you 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 find yourself in a relationship or someone that you. You know, you've met someone, maybe it's sort of a new person, maybe, you know, I assume what they're implying here is that you've you've become intimate for perhaps the first time or something's mm. happened that sort of you're really excited about. That's fantastic. That's great that you and the person that you most want to spend time with at that mm. period in your life wants to spend time with you and you've been able to get together, spend some intimate time together. Fantastic. But telling everybody... What you're down at the post office getting some stamps? Oh, hey, what's up? Oh, can I just get some two stamps? Yeah, I just want to. I need to send a letter to Moose T about because I'm horny, so I'm just going to yeah. do that. And then it's just like, oh, what do you get up to last night? Well, it just so happens that I finger slayed um, <laughs> Michelle. You know, Michelle from. Oh, yeah. Hang on, in this song, is he like? It's not like a revenge song. He he's, no. he's singing it thinking that. He's overjoyed and she's going to be proud. She's going to be happy yeah, about this situation. He's, he's, just, he's gone straight to the pub and told everyone. Yep. He's at the deli getting, you know, 100 grams of ham, 200 grams of ham, some salami. And he's telling the butcher that he like, like deep dicked mm, a chick. And it's mm, just like wow. telling everybody what we did last night. I mean, I don't think there's many chicks and, and I'm not talking about era-wise. I think not yeah. today, but even in the 90s, if it's just sort of like, oh, yeah, I just went, well, I was down at the I pub mean, and I just told all my mates that we banged last night. Even if even if they were a completely different band instead of these sort of soft rock, not soft rock, the pain, just garbage, yeah. g- garbage boy band sort of harmony kind of not not non-soul sort of just <laughs> easy listening soul, yeah. boy band bollocks like... Even if they were a kind of edgy sort of band, you know, I still can't imagine this kind of dominatrix type of woman who wants you to go around telling everybody that you, what you did had last sex night. the night before. Like, yeah. that's just tacky no matter what angle you come at it from. Oh, it's awful, yeah. Absolutely. Even E-Rotic wouldn't find that E-Rotic. E-Rotic wouldn't do that. They're, they're classier than that. Yeah. I mean, they, they certainly, <laughs> you know, they're proponents of, of boning. We know that from their album <laughs> titles. But they certainly, they wouldn't go, they don't spread it around town. They keep the intimacy between themselves. And I think that's, for human nature, what I find just wrong. It's just sort of, yeah. And you're right, Tom, it is human nature. I mean, there's no, it's embarrassing that you're, I think as a female, it would be embarrassing (laughs) that you'd be dating a member of human nature. And then to have one of them running around town. Yes. Everyone, you know, your mum... Just you know, the butcher, yeah. that as we said, the po- at the post office, down at the supermarket, everybody. Just you know, a mate from high school that you haven't seen for ten years. Oh, you know, finger slayed. You know, so yeah. it's just I don't want. No, there's I don't no think circumstance that. where you no know. circumstance where that's right. So that's the fastest way to end an relationship <laughs> award. Human nature; those guys suck shit. So yeah, they sure do. Definitely yeah, right. Boy. You don't want to tell everyone what you did last night. Um, I've got another award, Tom. Most literal music pseudonym, <laughs> sure. uh, and that's a tie between. Alice DJ and Alex Party. So I think that's pretty good. So what's your name? Alex DJ has got a win. No, Alex 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 DJ. DJ. Because Alex Party 
is not literally a party. <laughs> no. Even Andrew WK is not literally no, a no. party. He still needs other people around him. True. To be to make a party. I just felt like Alex Party sort of is trying to sell himself as mm. a party DJ. So it's just sort of like Yeah. What um what's your name? Alex, so oh, what do you do? DJ <laughs> DJ party what about Alex DJ? I mean the thing is though, Tom, I mean I do I'm sort of, you know, having a bit of fun here at these people's expenses, but all the good names were taken, you know, DJ Cyberstorm obviously was gone. That's mm. off the table, Fat Boy Slim, all the really good <laughs> names were gone. So yeah, but Alice DJ, uh, Better Off Alone, classic Eurodance track, and Alex Party Wrap Me Up in Your Love. Can you wrap someone up in something that is intangible in a sense so <laughs> wrap me up in your love it is a great song but um i don't know i just sort of hope that sort of alice was just like i'm a i'm gonna be a dj my name's alice yeah. alice dj not mad at that you know just saying no. very literal good on them slightly more interesting than dj alice absolutely um and only slightly and one more award do you i'll have one more quick award tom if sure. you want before you go in there um the george michael award for best use of a saxophone <laughs> oh, for me yes, goes to whisper goes to uh in this decade rex and effect rump shaker ah yes <laughs> all i want to do is go a zoom 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 and a boom boom go mm. shake the rump and i think we talked about that song earlier in it's great. an episode because it does have a lyric where he sort of refers to like female body parts as sort of like parts <laughs> on the map so you know yes, like I'm going to come round to your you know Rhode Island or something mm, like that go south so. of the equator exactly touching right. on your so very cape, great use of saxophone that's a very good video clip as mm. well if you're a fan of um, rump bikinis and rump shaking <laughs> yeah. and saxophone no, there's one particular bikini that has stayed with me since I was about 15 which I think was from that video <laughs> I'd be surprised if it wasn't they also have the hardest to spell name in rock, I'll give them that. Uh, that R W E C X N. Just space letter N, no no apostrophe. E no. Oh God, I can't even remember. Oh, Every it's... word is wrong in several ways. But anyway, yep. you know. W R E X X. And yeah, I don't know. Look, I, all I know is that their Spotify listens are probably way down just on how <laughs> just difficult it is for yeah. someone to type in Rex and effects. Yeah. So, yeah. Seriously, in the world of the internet, you can't be too generic or too specific. Otherwise, people just can't fucking find you on the internet. Yeah, I remember a few years ago there was... Um, I can't remember even what genre they were, but I remember reading a, a review of some album and the band was called Food. And I was just like, you guys, you guys are yeah. in for it. And I think the yeah. album was like self-titled. It was like, you're in for a fucking hard time, guys, because mm. nobody is going to be able to find that anywhere. On My the brother was briefly a fan in the sort of, I don't even know what music style it was called, the uh, the um, Death From Above, that era. Yep. There was a band called which was spelt... Exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. Yep. Which, hey, that looks very cool on a funky graphic design yep. Vice magazine style poster. Good luck trying to fucking look that shit up on the internet. Yeah. I remember <laughs> or that... say it even if you've never heard anyone say before, which doesn't even fucking make sense <laughs> anyway, but you know. I remember there was a, um, like a, like a Meshuggah style knockoff band called, um, 
four question marks. And, on, <laughs> on, and I remember on the, and I just remember like, how was that pronounced? Well, it was, it was, it was the first album was just literally four question, like yep. question mark times four. And then by the second album, they just changed it to actually F O U R Q E, like they'd spelt out four oh, question four. marks because they realised that nobody, <laughs> yeah. if you type four, if you just put four question marks into Google, like nothing probably exactly. shows up. So yeah, yeah you gotta you gotta be careful what you do. But um, Alex Party wouldn't have that problem. No, You'd just type it in, it just comes straight up, straight no. away. Wrap me up in your love, That's just bordering comes on, on too generic. If you were called Party. Party, you'd be in trouble. Oh, Alex, Alex Party, Party, you'd be okay. Yeah, for sure, absolutely. Okay, um, I did this of the eighties, so I thought I might as well do it with the nineties too. Yeah. Uh, best anti-drug campaigns. Um, oh yeah. Now I, you know, so many contenders. Uh, there was nothing as good as there was nothing as specific. Uh, era-wise as the Rock Against Drugs campaign, which basically yeah. spanned neatly the whole 80s and featured a positive who the fuck is that combined with a who, shit, what are they doing on a Against Drugs ad uh, cavalcade of stars. But um, there were some pretty good stuff. I know this will hurt you in particular, Ben, but uh. sadly we can't include the global smash hit One Life by Two Times Trouble uh. from the opening credits of MacGyver yeah. Season 5, Episode 10, yep. because unfortunately it aired on December the 11th, 1989, and thus is out of contention by Nat's dick. Also, the band may or may not be fictional. <laughs> I was unable to tell. Uh, even the MacGyver Wiki couldn't tell me. No. By the way, if you're shocked that a MacGyver Wiki exists in 2021, may I say, welcome to your first time using the internet. Don't touch anything without asbestos gloves provided. Uh, similarly, easily the worst anti-drug song I've ever heard, including <laughs> One Life by Two Times Trouble, is called Chuck by a band called Funk Junkies from 1995. <laughs> if you think new metal was rough, you can blame its predecessor, Funk Metal. Holy shit. <laughs> to quote Pixelated Boat, Faith No More is a great band that on paper should be a disaster, and every band that tried to repeat their formula was a disaster. Yeah. Uh, Funk Junkies, I should say, was spelt P-H-U-N-K. J-U-N-K-E-E-Z <laughs> So that should give you an idea of their musical <laughs> style yeah. This song from 1995 has a chorus which is just What the fuck Chuck, what the fuck's up Repeated nine times Then verses that tell the st sorry story of the eponymous Chuck A real life friend of the band Like a guy they actually knew Chuck got pulled at an early age In a pine box man he should have been engaged Chuck's chilling hard on the other side of life Left a family, friends, possibly a wife. <laughs> Chuck didn't know that night he would die. I wonder if he hears his mother cry. Probably not, given that, as the song later tells us, he's D to the E to the A to the T. <laughs> sure, that's fucking appalling, but unfortunately it's also disqualified because it's just an anti-drug song, not an actual anti-drug ad. That was just a song that they put out. <laughs> In the end, <laughs> really, the best anti-drug ad the 90s produced was the grunge scene which was probably the last musical genre we'll ever have that was comprehensively infected with heroin, not yep. to mention all sorts of other drugs. I mean, there are plenty of drugs in Glam, for instance, but they were on the table, you know, figuratively and literally when the cops showed up, not to mention on the cover of the album in some cases. Uh, there wasn't a lot of glamour in Kurt Cobain on the other side of the bathroom door from his newborn baby shooting up to numb a mystery stomach condition that caused him lifelong untreatable pain. On the other hand, a lot of the 
grunge people probably just thought it was part of the scene, you know, like Marilyn Manson abusing groupies or Kid Rock selling a line of Confederate flag fleshlights. But, yeah, I mean, by 96, Rolling Stone was already doing articles about the heroin epidemic in Seattle. And by the time Rolling Stone are doing it, that means it's five years too too long. So it was there before grunge came along. So, yeah, they were just the, the right age and the right people to be doing it. People from the grunge scene who died from heroin or drug-related deaths include both Lane Staley and Mike Starr from Alice in Chains, Kristen Pfaff of Hole, Kurt Cobain, obviously, Chris Cornell quite recently, Andrew Wood of Mother Lovebone, Blind Melons, Shannon Hoon, Scott Whelan from the Stone Temple Pilots, Doug Hopkins from the Gin Blossoms, John Baker Saunders, the bassist from Mad Season, Bradley Nowell from Sublime, Tripping Daisies, Wes Bergeron, Stephanie Sargent from Riot Girls' Seven Year Bitch, Jonathan Melvoin touring with the Smashing Pumpkins. And these are just the most famous ones who died, not counting the roadies and the partners and the ODs and the near misses. Like, even the glam metal guys were luckier than that. All of Guns N' Roses are still alive, yep. for fuck's sake. And they were, <laughs> Izzy Stradlin was dealing smack to half the band before Appetite even came out. So, yeah, I mean, it's a bit morbid. So, on a lighter note, let's play a game that anyone can play along at home using the YouTube links in the playlist. Yep. Drum roll here. Who is more on heroin during their MTV Unplugged special, Lane Staley or Scott Wheeland? <laughs> now, Alice in Chains' best album, Dirt, is pretty much exclusively about doing heroin and contains some of the grimiest drug lyrics of all time. It's the audio equivalent of a homeless guy's feet and has a similarly polarising appeal. So, of course, in their MTV Unplugged special, uh, Lane Staley is visibly on smack. He wears sunglasses for the first five songs, and when he takes them off, I strongly suspect it's to help the light keep him awake. (laughs) He's sitting down mostly, but he is on a stool and does remain upright and conscious while performing, which is not bad. Stools aren't particularly comfortable when you're not on smack. Uh, Scott Wheeland is literally in a rocking chair with his eyes shut, <laughs> literally nodding back and forward the whole show. He does not stand up at all, no, if you've seen that yeah, video. Yeah. I strongly suspect at the end of it, like some sort of 16th century, century French nobleman, they just picked up the chair like a sedan chair with four roadies and just carried it off stage. So I'm going to give this one to Scott yep. Wheeland, but judge for yourself <laughs> and... Like Scott Whelan, don't do heroin, or you might end up with frosted tips and a chin beard. Nobody <laughs> wants that to happen, do you know? Look, I, I reckon that. Um, oh well, I, I think I recall that 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 MTV Stone Temple Pilots special. I think it might have been shown on TV. Yeah, in, that... like on. When I was oh, yeah. when I was a child, I, yeah. I remember they, I, were on, I, they were on Rage and late yeah. at night, but I don't know in the daytime. I, yeah, maybe I, I feel <laughs> like I, I remember seeing it when I was a kid <laughs> and just thinking, "Oh, I wonder why he's in a rocking." There's chair. something <laughs> going <laughs> on. Yeah, well, I maybe it's just oh, they're just cool and arty, and it's all <laughs> yeah. oh, that's what the art sort of grunge. Mm, he's guys lost in do. the music, just, you know. He's just in the music, yeah. but yeah, you watch it as an adult and just like that dude's just fucking. <laughs> Um, But while uh, while you're talking about that, have you got any more grunge content Tommy going to talk about later? Or is is now a good time for me to bring up my um, worst post-grunge bands? Oh, hey, how how many do you have? We could go back and forth with them. I was going to bring up some... Uh, because grunge is almost like a separate category in itself for the 90s, which didn't get a lot of coverage because not a lot of it was in the number one aria position, I thought I might mention just a few... um, 
semi lesser known grunge hits, not on Nevermind. You no, know, we can talk about that later. Then. That's that, okay. Yeah, that's all right. Absolutely. But there's sort of there's a list of them, so we could go back and forth if you wanted. But if you no, just no, want no. to go ahead, then knock yourself no, no. out. That's fine. When you want to talk about that, we can do that. So um, I, I've got a couple more awards if you want to oh, sure. hear before we go back. So um, my peak 90s award uh, is King Missile Detachable <laughs> Penis. Is that sort of one of those things that you sort of... Well, it's actually a tie between King Missile Detachable Penis and Arnie and the Terminators I'll Be Back. <laughs> Could King Missile Detachable Penis exist these days? Or is it just one of those songs that is sort of a weird... 90s yeah. kind of there was it's a lot a, of experimental interesting stuff yeah. happening there yeah it was, it's just a it's for those that don't know the song it's just a it's effectively the vocals are just talking it's just a guy yes. talking just going Spoken about word. how he's got a detachable penis and he's lost it <laughs> and he's you know he went to a party and he got really drunk and he's lost his detachable penis and now he has to try and find his detachable mm. penis and it's like it's a whimsical t- it's kind of like Lord of the Rings I think <laughs> in, in sort of a sense he's sort of trying to you know chart these territories and he's sort of you know he's, he, he's he on, does he's on paint a, a word picture though it's, oh he paints the, a very picture by the time picture. he finds his penis uh, laid out on a blanket among yep. some uh, what is it like semi-working possibly working cigarette lighters at yeah. a swap meet a swap meet yeah exactly yeah you, uh, you really get a real visual of it you know oh. there's a real sense of relief that he's found his detached penis well in the video clip there's no there's no visuals of <laughs> no, the penis no but, it's, but that it's that all in your mind image it's all, exactly yeah. right it's sort of it's 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 the theatre of the mind Tom it creates sort of a vivid picture and they've and that's what King Missile have done they've generated this sort of story <laughs> and Look, I don't know what Peter Jackson's up to now that he's finished off his <laughs> Beatles documentary, but this is this could be a feature length film, I think. Mm. Detachable penis. Yes, the Jeff Bezos story. <laughs> 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 Did you? Uh, were you a fan of their song "Jesus Was Way Cool"? Yeah, you that? that's, <laughs> that's not a bad one. Either. I think so. Look, these, again, these... it's another spoken word thing. This yep. wasn't like a it wasn't a novelty song. It sort of got it functioned that way in on radio play, but they had you know this was their style. They did other songs yeah. in this vein. It's not like this was just oh hey let's do a weird song about a dick, you know. And this is what I'm going to say. Like I think King Missile was sort of um because this is sort of what early to mid nineties. Yes, is that correct? And it was sort of they had the yeah they had this song. They had a few other songs. It was sort of that spokeny sort of mm. uh, vocal delivery. But yeah, look, it's sort of just one of those things that I think was sort of a little bit, you know, alt-rock, but somehow worked its way into mainstream, so you sort of knew about it. And I, yeah, I liked it. It's funny in a sort of weird, not funny, (laughs) like I'm laughing out loud, but sort of funny in like a weird, like, oh yeah, they did have some weird stuff in the 90s Mm. that sort of broke through. (laughs) But what I will say is that um, taking that sort of spoken style of vocals to its logical extreme um, sort of fits into my next category, Tom, which is the How the Living Fuck Was This Ever Popular Award? <laughs> and that goes to Cake for their entire discography. Because that was the same <laughs> Not shit. Not a big Cake fan. No, no, it sucked. It was terrible. Um, well, this is another thing that happened in the 90s that we haven't even really even got a chance to talk about, was the whole sort of scar punk scene we did mention that briefly before but that was another whole like they were sort of part of that too i think although they're not specifically that style but they would be on the bill with no doubt madness touring and the mighty mighty boss tones you know they were very sort of bass heavy 
kind of stuff. He had a kind of speak, speaking style as well. Like he did. There was a lot of Where he'd just go, I will survive as long <laughs> as I know how to love. I know oh, yeah, I'll stay alive. Um, I, I do like some of their songs. Look, I, I think I was, I was walking down the street the other day and I did hear, I did see a, a guy that was um, just flipping out, getting all crazy. Like, you know, one of those people that like will dance down the street uh, and he'll yes. like get yeah. into people's faces and it's sort of like, and I found it kind of funny because on his iPhone, he was just playing, um, what is it? Long skirt. Oh yeah. <laughs> I want a girl with a long, short skirt and a long jacket. Long jacket. Yeah. And I was just like going, and that was kind of, and I was like going, this dude's, this dude's out of control. And I'm loving that. But then I went, oh, cake. I haven't heard of those guys for a while. And then I sort of, Went and had a bit of a listen. Just went, yeah, they suck. <laughs> Apart that, I was I'm on board with that, but um, yeah, not, not a huge fan. Cool. Sorry, no, that's all right. Um, and one more award quickly before I cut back to you is perhaps you need to seek immediate medical attention award, <laughs> and that goes to um, the German artist June for their song "Can't Stop Raving." So I yeah. think if you, I think if you just can't stop raving, perhaps you need to. That's, that's something you yeah, need to have. Yeah, people who at. can't stop raving are the ones that the salvos end up carrying out of the rave exactly <laughs> on the stretches, right. exactly. which happens more often, probably more often back then than it does now. But still, for sure, you don't so, want to be on that stretcher. It's no, a bad absolutely. scene. Absolutely. Um, Tom, do we have time for the most likely to be performing off oh, their sure. fucking heads at a regional food and wine festival <laughs> in 25 years? Smash Mouth? Smash Mouth. <laughs> Apart from them. Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, it is. I'm joking. I'm did joking. Did you see that? that I did, yeah. Gross. You sent it. You now, sent it let's, in case you haven't seen that YouTube link, which we'll put in the thing, it's yeah. uh, the lead singer of Smash Mouth, who is basically spherical at this point. He looks like a bowling <laughs> ball balanced on top of another yeah. larger bowling ball who's still got a chin beard and Oakleys. Yeah. Uh, he's utterly shit-faced on stage. He's, okay, what What does he do? He uh, openly just doesn't bother even miming along to the backing vocals. No. So he's just waving his arm around as though he's conducting his own voice. Uh, he does a Nazi salute. Uh, he tells <laughs> yes. the whole crowd that he's going to fucking kill them. Yeah. Um, find out where they live and kill them. What else does he do? He says something about how much money he's got. Yeah. Um... <laughs> what else does he do? He looks like he's he's about half a beer short of just flopping it out and taking a piss on the yeah. front row. It's it's pretty great. It's pretty great. Yeah, exactly. It's sort of like um, that's what. Yeah, I mean, I don't really know what happens at a regional food and wine <laughs> festival in America, but I think if you showed up and Smash Mouth were there, you'd yeah. sort of just go like, oh yeah, you know, this is like a novelty mm. from twenty years ago. But if they can get through. Half a dozen songs that'd be fine, but yeah. sort of to shop and see a dude Even, and sort of like um, Will Farrell and John C. Riley managed the Catalina fucking wine mixer at the end of Step Brothers with a lot more decorum. Yeah, that's true. Than this twat that's from true. this actual successful band. Yeah, but it's sort of um, I, I don't really look. I'm I'm obviously not suggesting that this is the case where it's sort of performance art, but I think that it's sort of it's getting it pretty keep, close. It keeps you in the public forum, yeah. even if it's in a negative light. Like at this stage <laughs> in my life, if someone said to me, "There's a food and wine festival in Melbourne, Smash Mouth performing," the guy is going to be fucked out of his yeah. mind. It could be funny. I'm more likely to see that than just an earnest sort of like, oh, Smash Mouth are playing. Be like, I don't, couldn't give two yeah. fucks about yep. going to see them play All Star. <laughs> hey now, you're an All Star. But if I knew that he was going to fall off the stage or like piss on someone, then maybe I'd be there. So I'm not sure. Yeah, it's how you hope that they'll act. Exactly. You know, if they exactly. were merely, if they were professional, that would be boring. 
Yeah. You know, or if they were just really bad, that would be boring. But yeah, yeah, for sure. Go on, completely going troppo. Yep. Um, all right, uh, cool. should we go back and forth with, what was it, grunge stuff? Yeah, what do you got? All right, I was going to go, um, this is just stuff that I reckon that people may not have heard so much that was pretty good at the time that we were into anyway. Some of it's more alternative, some of it's more grunge, but yep. it kind of fit in the same banner. Uh, one of them was uh, Dirty Frank, which is a Pearl Jam, it was a B-side of Even Flow. I know you're not a big Pearl Jam fan. This is strange. No, they're awful, but t- t- humor me, Tom, please. <laughs> strange. <laughs> By their standards, it, it, it's just a, it's a weird, long, sort of digressive rock sort of stomp song about a cannibal tour bus driver, which was like an in-joke, I think, they had. But it's quite the fun. It's quite the fun. And it's maybe the only song adjacent to 10 that has a sense of humor okay. about itself. I think, I think maybe in some of the international versions of 10, it might have been an added track on it but we thought it was a kind of b-side and it's quite funny yeah it's just some joke they had about a shitty tour bus driver and so they kept elaborating on what he got up to and eventually by the end of the tour that they were convinced he was a midnight murderer who killed children and ate them and stuff anyway so yeah what have you got um, well, Tom, without a shadow of a doubt, this is this is. Um, oh, you're I, doing the worst post grunge. Okay, well, well sure. no, no, kind of. But I think this is um, for me. I think this is so under the radar that a lot of people probably, f- you know, forgot sure. that it actually existed. But um, can you remember? You probably can't. But remember in 1995 or 1996, around that time when Moby did a grunge album. <laughs> remember that. No, Post-grunge. I don't remember that. Wow, it sounds like the kind of. So thing Moby did do. an album called uh, Animal Rights because he's he's all about the animal <laughs> yep. rights, which is he's good. Vegan AF. Look, I'm look, I'm happy with animal rights. That's good stuff. But uh, he did, it's, what is completely bizarre about this <laughs> is that so Moby obviously um, electronic artist mm. early nineties went through that had a few singles, people sort of enjoying that. And then by the mid nineties, he was like, not sure this is going places, released a real, (laughs) real, real dog shit post grunge punk sort of album with Moby Mm. doing, doing some like screamy vocals and a bit angsty, whatever. Ironically, it came out at exactly the same time. It's like the shit he used to be doing sort of became popular. Oh, okay. So he did this album fucking woeful just uh really 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 bad i believe it grungy sort of and he's he's a fucking dickhead to begin with i mean he must be one of the most annoying musicians <laughs> that exists currently on the planet um and then after he did this he was like oh shit it was like panned no one liked it and he yeah. went back to doing his whatever the fuck he does <laughs> and then he had that next album which was super popular where he mm, sampled all the play, the play. Yes. exactly exactly yeah. um yeah he's pretty annoying but um every go listen to this is terrible every interview i read of him he seems he he sounds quite funny and likable but, oh. Yeah, but there's something to do with... Yeah, I know what you mean. There is something irritating about his persona, and I don't particularly like his music no. either. But yeah. yeah, I don't care for his music. Um, he just seems kind of annoying, but I don't really know whether... Um, maybe I'm just reading the wrong interviews. I'm not sure. But oh, hey, no. I don't really I, look, I haven't read one for... I haven't no. read anything about him for... A, 10 years or whatever. <laughs> he does have some of the finest tattoos going these days. Like he does have, <laughs> oh, really? I think, he has animal written <laughs> oh, down Christ. this arm and then he has rights written down that arm yeah. in some of the biggest font happening. And then I think he has vegan for life tattooed on his neck, which is cool. I'm down, I'm, you know, if you're a vegan for life, 
totally fine, but I don't know mm. whether a neck tattoo that just says vegan for life is what you want. So I was even least... the members of Earth Crisis don't have that. Yeah. I was listening to a podcast recently and they were discussing an actor who was famously a massive prick to work with. Yep. But there was a pause and then somebody said, yeah, but he did all that work with like animals and that sort of thing. You know, he's like famously gave all this money to all these things, you know, so he can't have been a total psychopath. And then they started talking about like Morrissey, who again was a famous crusader, but it is crusader for animal rights and veganism, but he's also a massive dick. And one of the people said, do you think it's possible that some people like, it's easier to deal with these causes where you don't actually have to be involved with other human beings. <laughs> it's like, it's easier to love something and care for something in the abstract than actual people who you actually have to talk to and deal with their needs and wants and yep. their personalities in existence. Whereas you can love something in the abstract, you know, like, absolutely. Be, yeah. Look, uh, this is maybe a controversial take, Tom, but animal rights is so far down the list of priorities in my life that um, I just... <laughs> hey, look, that's that's a good example of one of those 90s things where, like I was talking about with the obsession with like alien conspiracies and stuff like that, it's one of those things where you think, for people to have been this concerned about Peter and stuff in the 90s, it shows how good everything fucking else was, like how little else people had to worry yeah. about like economically and all that other stuff, you know? Like, And look, I'm not saying that in like a sort of fuck Moby way. I, all I mean is it's sort of like yeah, no. animal rights, great, but I just sort of, I think if I was a celebrity on Moby's sort of level, I'd mm. be sort of like, maybe I'd sort of be trying to push my efforts into other things that are... Yeah. But I guess animal rights, I guess, does tie into sort of bigger environmental concerns about... It can, know, but uh, I know yeah, what you, you mean. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah. oh, animals have got feelings too. It's like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm sure they do, but you know... Oh, I'm sorry, I can't of, hear um, you over the sound of the fascist coup that's being staged <laughs> outside my window. Exactly. And that's, yeah. sort of, that's sort of, I guess, the point that I'm trying to make, that it's sort of just... Um, yeah, look, it's maybe it's not controversial, but it's just sort of dude seems a bit sure. shitty. <laughs> Whatever. Um, okay, uh, have you you know? Do you know Jawbox? Do you know oh, I do. Them? Yeah, Jawbox are great. I don't know much about them. I have to admit, but they did an extremely cool cover cover of Cornflake Girl. Listened yep. to that the other day. Yeah, yeah. Only fairly close to the original came out, but yeah, it rocks out, and it, it yeah, it it makes you. It's one of those. You know, your theory covers always better than it the original. Is, yeah. Like a really good cover can make you appreciate the original more. You actually go, oh, this has got the songwriting in this is really good. There was that um, Sarah Blasco cover of Flame Trees by, um, yeah, what's his face? Um, fucking Cold Chisel, yep. which I must have heard a thousand yep. times growing up. But yeah, sort of when you hear it laid out like that, you're like, this is the lyrics of this are really clever. Like, yeah. and the way the song builds, if it's when it's done in slow motion, you're like, yeah, it's this, yeah, anyway, it's a bit like that. Anyway. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think you're right with Flame Trees, particularly. I mean, maybe sort of Barnsley being like, Flame Trees. Yeah. It, and then you, you sort that of, go, kind of and yeah. then you sort of hear it and you're like, oh, yeah, cool. Absolutely. No, definitely. No, Jawbox are really good. So I think it's sort of... I should um, listen to more of their stuff. I, won't give it I think sort of um, mid-90s alt-rock that wasn't grunge, that sort of wasn't popular at yeah. the time, that sort of sound. Um, yeah, I was going to say, I'm like not po- sure if it's quite grunge. No, nah, it's, sort of, it's, definitely, it's definitely not grunge, but sort of things like that. It fits into that. 
some sort of, the, of area. and some post hardcore stuff like Quicksand, um, those sorts okay. of bands. I think um, in 2021, young people are aping the 90s pretty hard. So I think they should go of, back to some of that stuff. Too. Absolutely, yeah. yeah, for sure. So it's good. It's good stuff. Um, yeah, cool. Uh, what do you got? Puddle of mud, Tom. <laughs> Puddle of mud. <laughs> Their one hit, is it? Post grunge, but um, what I want to bring them up because um, yeah, they were they were sort of a '90s post grunge band, fucking woeful. Mm. But I think it was a year or two ago, the the Puddle of Mud did a cover of um, about a girl, which has to be, <laughs> and it's on YouTube, and um, most people have probably seen this, but it is one of the <laughs> worst covers. This is the that Nirvana is, song. It, yes. Yeah. It's um, the guy, like, <laughs> I can't even describe it. It's sort of like, imagine you were just trying to be Kurt Cobain, but 150%. Yeah. But you just were yeah. real shit at doing it. Even 100% of Kurt Cobain was about 50% too much Kurt Cobain sometimes. Exactly. Quite so that's worth checking out. Um, <laughs> these guys suck. They're definitely post grunge. What was their one half hit? Was she fucking hates me? Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah it's, they're terrible. So they're yeah. Appalling. So yeah. for sure. What um, else, Tom? I've got, I quite like a uh, mad season. I'm not sure if people, I think they, they did okay, but I think, I don't know if they did much here, but they were a sort of quasi super group formed of various members of Screaming Trees uh, Alice in Chains uh, and another band that's escaping me at the moment. They had one album um, before, you know, one of the members overdosed on heroin oh, and then no. Lane Staley went back to Alice in Chains. But it's really cool. Like, it, it's sort of that album shows, like, it's not all listenable. Some of it's just sludgy, but it has sort of a varied approach on it to grunge that a lot of the actual, like, dirt doesn't have, which I like dirt, but it's. It's a it's a fairly sort of thematically consistent musically, but yep. uh, there's a for instance there's a really good song called I'm Above, which sort of shows the link between like Deep Purple and grunge, like oh, yeah. that old stompy sort of psychedelic rock from the seventies. And a lot of the time, I heard I think it might have been Chris Cornell in an interview, and he said when they talk to grunge people about their influences. Everybody always tries to come up with the most obscure Seattle stuff and the weirdest shit they like, and they wear the t-shirts and videos and stuff. But he said, "But the truth is, a lot of us really, a lot of us just really liked Led Zeppelin and Deep Purple and those old rock guys, you yep. know, like the seventies rock dudes. And there's so much of that in grunge. Like if you, you know, if you strip away the fuzz and the the, the distortion and the obtuse <coughs> lyrics and stuff, then a lot of the song structures are just that sort of, you know, those monster rock." dinosaur jam type sounds you know and when it works like this it's really fun like it's a slow build and then it just goes nuts you know yeah i think you're absolutely right you've hit the nail on the head there i think if um a a lot of those bands the grunge bands uh i think we mentioned probably last week or the week before the influence from 70s stuff black sabbath particularly oh yeah for sure Sabbath um, and led zeppelin it it goes without saying so i think it's sort of um one of those things where as a kid I was like, oh, this is all new and crazy. What's going yeah. on? And then sort of as I got a bit older and I think I actually, yeah, just dug into my dad's Black Sabbath albums. I was like, oh yeah, I can sort of see the yeah, some of the stuff sure. between that and like early Soundgarden things. It's sort of like, oh yeah, I can certainly see a connection for this. So yeah, for sure. You're right. I think um, it's, it's just one of those things where 
people want to give music a new label, but you know, yeah. it's nothing new under the sun really. Is yeah. It's sort of all just variations <laughs> on a theme and you know, it's great. You know, I'm glad that we sort of uh, yeah. got to have that thing that people thought was really cool at the time. But yeah, you definitely got to realize that it is connected to something from the past. Yeah. Nothing just pops out out of nowhere no, without a sort of like, certainly not this anymore. just appeared without no thing yeah. to sort of, you know, every all young kids listen to something influenced by something. So yeah, for sure. So yeah, um, look, I, I could just talk about just list shit bands. We're not going to do that. So what else have you got time uh, Okay. Then? I've had a few others. Um, there's a song called Drugs by Ammonia. Do you oh, yeah, they're Australian. Australia, yeah. They're about the closest that we came to having something directly in that vein or anything that got played on the radio. This uh, They should have kicked more goals. Australia should have kicked more goals with grunge, really, because it has a lot of similarities to pub rock as well, it's at, least, at least in sort of presentation terms. Yep. But um, this song is like the distilled essence of grunge. It's basically one verse and one chorus. It's got 14 words total repeated until you just want to smoke a bucket and do pop shove in someone else's share house lounge room. It's, yeah, it's it's fun. It's still fun. I listened to it the other day. I thought maybe this is one of those ones that was just catchy because I was young, but no, it's fun. Um, another one that didn't get played a lot was uh, Big Dumb Sex by Soundgarden. Oh, yeah. That was from Louder Than Love, which was 1989. Uh, that was the first grunge album to chart on Billboard at all. It was only like 108. But grunge obviously wasn't even a term then. Yeah. Like Primus, they were around before grunge and then got lumped in with grunge, even though they weren't really the same exactly. But um, yeah, anyway, this was supposed to take the piss out of 80s metal bands around them at the time by the idea was that they weren't going to use sleazy metaphors and they would just get right to what they were actually talking about. Yeah. Hence the chorus, which is... Hey, I know what to do. I'm going to fuck, 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 fuck you. Fuck you. Yeah, I know what to do. I'm going to fuck, 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 fuck you. Fuck you. I'm going to fuck, going to fuck you. Yeah. Now, as promised, that chorus was so successfully dumb that Guns N' Roses borrowed it for a song on Spaghetti <laughs> Incident. Uh, like the songs it was mocking, it's as stupid as fuck, but good luck getting that out of your head once you've listened to it. Yeah. Um, seriously, I had that in my head all day today, that stupid fucking song. Um, and last of all, this is a bit of a stretch, but Jesus Christ, this is influential. I just went back and listened to this again, and it is, not only is it influential, but this is so good. This is more alternative than grunge, for sure, but the kids' soundtrack... Oh, yeah. If you're around in the 90s and you don't know this, uh, I'm telling you that you've heard it at a party in a cool shop. Um, I haven't even seen the movie. I think Larry Clark is probably a pedophile, but the soundtrack fucking rules. It really does. It's put together by Lou Barlow, who was a founding member of Dinosaur Jr., Sebado, and the Folk Implosion, who are featured here with half a dozen rad songs like Nothing's Gonna Stop the Flow and Natural One, which was like a low-key hit in Australia. Um, it's probably more alternative than grunge. It charted on the alt charts in America, but not here. But yeah, that is a great fucking song. Plus the Australian release of Natural was a very strange five song EP that was very good to smoke weed to. <laughs> um, a lot of this is more punk and alt rock than grunge. Plus it's got the Beastie Boys, Tribe Called yep. Quest, Daniel Johnston, etc. Generally speaking, if you're wondering uh, the difference between grunge and alternative 90s rock the easiest way to tell is to check 
Is the lead singer putting as little emotional effect into their voice as possible while still roughly hitting the notes? That's alternative. Is the lead singer putting as little emotional effect into their voice as possible while still roughly hitting the notes and screaming? Yep. Then that's grunge. Um, either way, the soundtrack fits right into the 90s aesthetic and it still sounds cool as fuck. At least, please listen to Natural One if you haven't heard it because that is a fucking jam. Yeah. Absolutely. Sure, yeah, that's All right. good, um, for sure. I reckon um, I'm going to have to very briefly, Tom, talk about an award for... Please. The Best Way to Get Megan Fox Into Bed Award. <laughs> sure, I'm all ears. Well, like it's obviously Michael through, <laughs> well, it's definitely through a terrible rap album, so... Um, sure. as oh, you, okay, right. So, yep. <laughs> Megan Fox is currently dating, I believe, Machine Gun Kelly. He, she is. Who, um, I think he's, he's a grunge rocker now, Tom, I believe. So uh, he's, he's the kind he's of a, grunge rocker. He's a rock and roller. He's a punk. For the 90s. He's, he's a punk rocker. He's a punk rocker. <laughs> but prior to that, he was a, a rapper. He's one of those rappers sure. that they have these days. Yep. So, so uh, I think Megan Fox sort of <laughs> probably got into um, Machine Gun Kelly when he was doing the rap songs. Mm. Correct? Pr- let's, say, that? Yes. let's say that. She fell in love with his gift for the rap songs. Who do you remember? Who Megan Fox was married to prior to Machine Gun Kelly? Machine Gun uh, I Kelly? do. Uh, was it Brian Gordon Green? Brian Austin Green. Brian yeah. Austin Green from, from Beverly Hills Nine Hundred Two and Zero that we spoke about before. Now Brian Austin Green, he was also a rapper, Tom, as sure you may was. well know. So um, his his album <laughs> One Stop Carnival is one of the finest <laughs> rap albums of the nineties. So also presaged the Juggalos with that one quite yeah, early on. Absolutely <laughs> right. One stop carnival. So I think that's. He accidentally shot himself in the head. You know, if only he'd. Sorry, that was a 90210 joke. It was oh, his Jesus. friend that. Uh, was it his friend? <laughs> it was it? Oh, wasn't it was his friend, yep. yep. His friend, but yeah, definitely <laughs> killed himself. Scott, I believe, from the time I say. Very, very sad. So the One Stop Carnival, Brian Austin Green album. Obviously, you know, I think Megan Fox must have heard this and just went, that's mm-hmm. the man I want to be with, so it's yep. fantastic. So um, it is a One Stop Carnival in a sense that once you've stopped there, you don't want to go to any other carnivals <laughs> because it is just so damn good. The single, <laughs> That's Right off the album features if you can believe this the first ever shout out to the black eyed peas so the oh, black eyed okay. so will will i am back when he was known as will 1x back in the day he he did some producing Oh, on Brian okay. Austin Green's One Stop Carnival. He just put together his new new group, Black Eyed Peas. Oh, I, mean, so, I know they started out as a sort of politically active, you know, all rappers. Like, they were quite interesting at one point, oh, believe look, it or not. They were, at a time in the past, significantly better than what mm. they are now, which is... You know, not That's saying much. Low it's bar faint praise because they're fucking <laughs> woeful. But uh, anyway, so yeah, so Brian Austin Green's One Stop Carnival um, does feature a shout out to the Black Eyed Peas, which really should have been an indicator of how that group would end up, yes. given that their first shout out in any song was from a Brian Austin Green track. I mean, that's fucking embarrassing. Mm. So look, some would say that that was the best. Thing so that's ever the got. thing. So look, if you're into Megan Fox and you find her attractive, mm-hmm. I think the best thing to do is to put together a real shit rap album, send it her way, and maybe <laughs> that will be enough to sort of, um, yes. you know, put point her in your direction. So, absolutely. What else, Tom? Oh, look. Um, okay. Uh, 
Oh, well, should we get into bests and worsts? Oh, or absolutely. what about um, yep. we could do crazy stuff? I had some weird shit. Did you have the weirdest stuff from the 90s? I didn't, I didn't have the I weirdest stuff. I had a some few weird little, bits, um, little bits and pieces. I couldn't Cause, find cause, one uh, specific. Last time I had Bat Dance, because that's the weirdest oh, thing that happened in the 80s. Sure. Bat Dance video specifically. Yeah. Sure. If you've got any ca- categories, please, you know. Um, look, Tom, I've, my, I've got the category of... Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've got a song title that's just the name of our group award. That goes to <laughs> AB Logic for their song, AB Logic. Now, look, it's I'm no a, watch out for the hit. No, man. look, I'm a big fan of AB Logic. I know you are, Tom, I as sure well. So look, I know that, Tom, song. look, I know that... Um, <laughs> have you been to Belgium, Tom? Have you? No. Yeah, can't but, say I, but look, uh, I know... Yeah. Look, I, I already knew the answer to that question, but I know, Tom, that you will go to Belgium one day. I know that that's on your radar as a place to visit. And I know that it's not because of the chocolate, not because of, you know, I know you love the Belgian shells, mm-hmm. that shell chocolate, but it's not for that. The beer, I know you love a beer, but it's not because of that. I know that you love um, to visit the headquarters of the European Union, but you won't be going for that either, nor the cobbled streets of the picturesque town squares. <laughs> when you go to Belgium, Tom, I can say it'll be because you want to visit the homeland of AB Logic. Mm-hmm. And that's a fair assessment because that's what a big fan of it you are. So they've got Jean Claude Van Damme. Jean Claude Van Damme sure. as well, absolutely. So, well, you can do it in both in the same trip. That's right. Jean Claude Van Damme, <laughs> his hometown, go check that out. And then, uh, sorry, Jean Claude, Jean Claude Van Damme <laughs> sure. and AB Logic. Um, look, here's the thing. AB Logic, they've got a song that just goes AB Logic. The chorus just goes AB Logic, AB Logic. I think that's the absolute best thing you can do as an artist. Have a song that is just named after you and the chorus is just saying your name over and over again. But you're right, Tom. Their biggest song and my favourite is obviously The Hitman oh, as well. which is but, Well, it's highly danceable but also poignant as one must watch out for The Hitman, mm. Tom. And I think many a great man has forgotten this and been cut down in their prime. That's true. You know, JFK, uh, his brother, um, some Martin other guy, Martin I think, King. but... I don't really want to speculate about what would happen, but imagine that AB Logic was alive back in the 60s. Mm. He had this song out, <laughs> Watch Out for the Hitman. He's playing this, you know, it resonates with the crowd. People mm. are listening to this. JFK is hearing this. Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, they're all hearing this song and they're thinking, okay, perhaps I should take on the words of this, this AB Logic and perhaps I should watch out for the hitman. Mm. And if they were to do that, and if AB Logic... Well, it's, it's like a sliding doors type thing, Tom. Is, like, yeah. Almost like a back to the future thing. If AB Logic could travel back in time and just release watch out for the hitman in the <laughs> 60s, perhaps, you know, JFK would have heard mm. it. JFK's security team would have heard it. JFK would have paid more attention to the hitman. He would have, you know, had a better security system in place. He would have survived... And I think the whole human history could have been changed. I think that the course of human history, because we're talking about a man that I think had certain beliefs and certain sort of ideals that when he died, some of those ideals died. Mm. So I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that um, if AB Logic was alive in the 60s, JFK would have been president for a lot longer and America would probably be a better country today. It's quite possible. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, who would have thought that AB Logic, Eurodance, could have changed the path of world history? Could change the path of human history. Did you ever see that show, Seven Days, Tom? <laughs> you familiar with this show yeah, from the, the 90s? The one where the guy got the newspaper 
Early? Um, that was early edition. Oh, okay. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Seven days is a very similar concept where uh, uh, someone's able to travel back in time but anywhere they want, days, but then okay. they they can only be there for seven mm. days. They can travel, so I think. So he could quantumly leap back in time seven days. No, he could go. I think he could go. Uh, I can't even I can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember whether he could I, I go to the any time concept, period, yes. but he can only be there for seven days or anyway. So, but look, or early edition. But mm. yeah, I think if AB Logic had the ability to get back there, he could have released this song. But it's the TV you, pilot that's crying out to yeah, be made. I think so. Do you think would the audience have been ready for the Hitman in the sixties though? You mm. think that if well, I'm watch out for the Hitman. If anyone would have been, it probably wouldn't have been JFK. It probably would have been slightly more likely to be Martin Luther King, mm. just in terms of musical preferences. Oh no possibly. doubt. No <laughs> doubt. Anyway, I know that uh, Malcolm X did love Hero Dance. Back then it was called Charleston, I think. That shows my (laughs) deep knowledge of musical genres. Exactly. Um, What do you got for crazy stuff? Hit me up. Must be better than the AB. Well, I couldn't narrow it down to one thing, so I'll just, it's little bits of bites here and there. Uh, You familiar with DJ Josh Wink? Uh. (laughs) Well, DJ Josh Wink uh, was trying to get a start in the early 90s in New York. Uh, One night he came home exhausted after a weekend of sets where he'd had three hours sleep and God knows how many chemicals. He sat down to make some music at his computer. He was so munted that the only thing he could get out of himself was weird laughter. So he said, fuck it, I'll just record myself laughing weirdly, which is the kind of thing that makes sense at 5am on a Monday morning when your pupils are still vibrating and you've got to manually remember to go to the toilet and when you do, your penis has gone missing. But anyway, he finished it off as a joke song, you know, like a demo. Then a New York club promoter heard it as like background music in something and got hold of it and took him to meet a record label. It was his first single and... Still, to this day, if you play the extended mix to a bunch of high people in a dark room, it's pretty weird. It's okay. a pretty weird song. Nice. <laughs> it's, um, uh, yeah. Look, the 90s was an ambiguous decade then, so it's only appropriate that it left us with a lot of unanswered questions, yep. I think. For instance, in the video for Closer by Nine Inch Nails, I can imagine why there might be a live monkey tied to a crucifix. But what's with the naked bald lady in the mask making devil horns with like two boiled eggs spinning on the tips of her fingers? That's a good question. If Mr. Crinkle by Primus is about Les Claypool just shooting the breeze with Mike Borden from Faith No More, then what the living fuck is happening in the video? Did Soul Coughing walk into the wrong door of a studio on the way to a poetry slam and get recorded by accident? (laughs) Did all the tool videos have actual symbolic meanings or were you just super duper high when you yeah. were watching them? In November Rain, why does that prick jump into the wedding cake just because it starts raining? Good question. How did Helmet and Primus get lumped into grunge? Was Britpop anything? If it was, what the fuck was happening in park life? You know, so many questions. <laughs> Too many questions. So many questions. Like, you know, Kurt Cobain's next album we'll never get to know, I suppose. Exactly. Oh, look, Tom, I think I've got the ultimate question. Was 1990 the year of the guru, as Guru Joss suggested? I think it was for the for the guru. Yep. I'm not sure if the 90s were the year, decade of the guru in the sense that I think he died as well. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Look, um, it's, it's all, they're very, very good points, Tom, um, and I agree with all of them. That it sorry, is, may I just yep. interrupt yes, you for a second? Sorry. Jesus Christ, this is how fast my memory works these yep. days. Keith. 
Keith was the guy from The Prodigy who was the fire starter who danced oh, in there. Sorry, good. that was driving me fucking nuts. Please <laughs> for, keep for those, going. For those people from two hours ago, you know, they were going. It was <laughs> yes. fucking Keith. There you if go, you're you on LSD and can time travel psychically to the conversation that you were having two hours ago, yeah, absolutely. knock yourself out. Cool. All right. Um, do you want to get into some good stuff? What have sure, you got for good stuff, your bad best? stuff. Um, yeah. All right. Do you want to do good, best song, worst song, whatever? This. What do we got? Um, um, all right. I can do my lyrics of the decade if you sure. want. Sure. All right. You do that and I'll do worst song or something. Look, Tom, uh, my fine... I, I think I'm going to go straight up with um, best lyrics sure. in the 90s. Sure, yes, so, look, that's fine. <laughs> look, anyone that knows me knows that, you know, lyrics, they're the most important part of the song, mm, obviously. You know, yes. like some, some people are music people, some people are lyrics people, but for me, it's the lyrics. I think it's, you know, while a music, you know, can sort of get you moving and sort of get you mm. grooving, so to speak, I think it's, for me, it's the lyrics that really convey that emotion, you know, a certain feeling that puts you in that place or time and when you hear that song you can sort of be transported back and sort of mm. you, you, you sort of feel those same emotions that perhaps you did when you first heard that song or at a time when you heard that it was quite poignant in your life something that speaks to you I guess at multiple levels um, and you know I guess for me I really like songs where the lyrics include either one product placement or casual racism mm. so I think they're my two favourite things in a song so imagine my delight when I first heard LFO's Summer Girls <laughs> that includes both both <laughs> casual racism and product placement, as well as about 1080s and early 90s references in perhaps the least creative way one can imagine. So I should also point out that LFO is a white boy rap group, and mm. I use the term rap very, very yes. loosely. And LFO stands for light, funky ones, mm. So, which is fantastic. Mm. Anyway, the chorus, if you can believe it, is uh, New Kids on the Block had a bunch of hits. Chinese food makes me sick. I think it's fly when girls stop by for the summer. I like girls that wear Abercrombie and Finch. I'll take her if I had one wish, but she'll be gone for that summer, since that summer. Fantastic. <laughs> so, look, it's really good because, yeah, yeah um, Chinese food does make me sick and I love girls in Abercrombie and Finch, so it works for me on, on all those levels. So, look, at, and also another thing I should point out is that I guess it is very challenging for a brand when someone <laughs> destroys decades, if not centuries worth of goodwill overnight, you know what I mean? You're not talking so, about Abercrombie and Fridge. Well, you know, imagine Fred Perry wasn't that stoked when the Proud Boys adopted their shirts as a uniform. Yeah, the problem is that the guy who was running Abercrombie and Fitch in this period was one of... In fact, it's really weird that you should be saying that because <laughs> these guys, LFO, mm. were... Um, Put together by they're a sort of C Street Backstreet Boys, C yep. tier Backstreet Boys knockoff. Put together guy, by a guy called Lou Pearlman, oh, yep. who got involved in boy band management for much the same reason that Alan Jones got involved in rugby league. Each of the that he was deeply invested in the welfare of fit young Caucasian men, <laughs> particularly the welfare of how their abdominal muscles look while sheened with sweat. Yep. And yeah, despite that, yeah, this was their only hit, but. Also, the guy running Abercrombie and Fitch at this time was also an incredibly creepy older guy yeah. who basically turned what had been a sort of preppy, sports casual, white sort of knitwear polo shirt brand into a sort of borderline pornographic excuse to get hot young men and, you know, far off in a distant paddock women to <laughs> cavort with each other in front of him while he gave them advice on, you know, ab tightening 
good exercises and so forth. So there's just this cloud of creepiness hanging yep. over this whole thing. It doesn't help that the guy who is dropping these dope rhymes in this video uh, looks like the bad guy from a Dawson's Creek episode about <laughs> date rape. And they were pretty yeah. Abercrombie and Fitchy too as well. So, yeah. Absolutely. I yeah. mean, you, you're spot on though. That Those are some of the best lyrics of the decade. Do you think that, um, you know, the fact that Though Abercrombie and Finch was name checked in this song, have they ever recovered as a brand, or is it sort of just, or does it not matter? Well, I think the one-two punch of LFO and having possibly the creep. I mean, god damn it! It was like at this time there was a creep-off competition going between the guy who ran Abercrombie and Finch and the guy who ran American Apparel, who was like the (laughs) the underage female sexual predator version of the Abercrombie and Finch's underage gay. Yeah, underage male sexual predator version yeah. of it, and we're like, who can get the most pornography into our commercials? And weirdly enough, both brands ended up folding, or they both got fired, and their brands continued, but in a completely different manner than the way that they had been running them. So, yeah, American yeah. Apparel is so weird. I remember sort of like um, when it was like we're an it was such a bizarre <laughs> brand because a it was sort of we're making all of our clothes. In America, in California, yes. you know, where so rather than without, shops yeah, rather stuff, than we've outsourced yeah. our stuff overseas, we're doing it right here in America, which is fantastic. You know, we're paying our mm. workers great. So it's sort of like, oh wow, that's great. And then you'd see the adverts in like the remember, do, I don't know, device still do the yes. um, the, the physical magazine, yeah, remember and there's like that? that Terry Richardson style photo shoot (laughs) where every photograph looks like the last seen picture of a pornographic actress who went missing aged 16 exactly (laughs) yeah I just remember sort of getting the um the the Vice magazine who are obviously an edgy quote Mm. publication and you know were at the time (laughs) and then yeah the adverts were just sort of like that chick is not 18 yeah. and that's a pretty weird or if pose. she is she's deliberately styled to make just, her just, look yeah, like exactly, she's not exactly. the Abercrombie exactly. and Fitch ones were the same except it was an entire boys lacrosse team yeah, with yeah. way off in the distance maybe a woman standing on top of a house or something like exactly. that exactly so look there's some of my favourite lyrics of the decade Tom look but on one positive note mm. if there is a positive to take from that it is that um, it's unlikely that there's going to be an LFO reunion because two of the members are dead. So, oh, jeez. That's, that's oh, a good, that's, that's a shame. Well, it's not really, but uh, it depends, depends how you look at it. So, Musically, it's not, but Music, it's a shame. Yeah. I hope they didn't die from being involved with some horrible no, sex just Oh, he, sort of, unusually for a rich white guy, he ended up going to jail, not for molesting young boys, but for some sort of tax-related thing. Look, Tom, it was a, uh, a Ponzi scheme, and we get to talk about it a lot in oh, the coming okay. weeks. Oh, so. sure. <laughs> oh, do we? All right, I'll shut up now. <laughs> no, 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 no. All Tom. right. Um, what do you want to do next? Should we do... Uh, Whatever you want to do, Tom. Well, we Worst song. Uh, I didn't have much to say for worst song. Have you got a worst song? I had some runners-up. Oh. Runners-up would include probably LFO, if I'm being honest. Yep. Uh, have you seen Tarzan and Jane by Toy Box? <laughs> That's yes. for people who thought Aqua... This is too edgy. I want something a bit more stripped stripped down and commercial. Um, yeah, yep. it's just horrible. It's like some Raggedy Ann and Andy, but with, you know, 20-year-olds being signed from Stock Aiken and Waterman or something. Um, but yeah, ultimately, really, there's obviously only one winner, and that has to be Sweat a la 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 long by Inner Circle, which is just <laughs> like, as we discussed, it's shithouse pop reggae with an actionable rape threat instead of lyrics. Yep. 
The video is four and a half minutes that feel like four and a half hours. The pack of dickheads waving their arms back and forward like inflatable tube men from outside Crazy John's. Uh, and considering the lyrics, I suppose I should be grateful if it doesn't involve a basement pit and night vision goggles. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that's oh. about the worst thing that happened in the 90s. And that, there were some low points, don't get me wrong, the 90s was not all high points musically, but yeah. Look, Tom, yeah, I mean, that's that's a, I think that's a really good choice for worst song. It was completely terrible. But for me, Tom, I think I'm going to have to go for something different. Sure. Um, look, personally, I think that there, there are two types of people in this world. Those that know every word to Bare Naked Ladies One Week. <laughs> And sing it with pride whenever it comes on. And those that if it came on the radio while in a car, they'd drive it off a bridge to avoid having to hear another note of that song. It must be one of the most excruciating songs that I've ever heard in my life. Um, and I just dare anybody to sit through the whole thing without wanting to punch themselves in the dick. It doesn't so. make you feel like ordering some chickety china, the Chinese chicken. No. You need a drumstick and your brain stops ticking. Just the sort of... <laughs> I mean, people give white rappers <laughs> a lot of shit, but imagine that in like a sort of middle-aged dad mm, band. Canadian. You know, like sort of... Sort of, yeah, college band. Yeah. yeah. So for me, that's one of the worst. I, I mean, say- one of the worst a decade that we haven't spoken about because in previous weeks, I mean, things I think like Pretty Fly for a while, guy <laughs> and you know obviously yeah. Lou Baker are just fucking pitiful songs but <laughs> yeah, I don't know that's got that that's got a special something to it and I will hand it to millennials yep. for strip mining our shitty 90s stuff the the brown side of the 90s yep. and getting some comedy value out of uh that song and also Smash Mouth to the point where you can now the opening word of both of those songs is essentially a meme where oh, yeah. somebody like that <laughs> is basically a meme and is as is it's been that those two yeah. things they're like a, a sonic meme those two things like Shrek they're like this kind of thing yeah. they've like recycled it into this how fucking stupid was that thing? Oh, and absolutely. I have to say you're right it was and it is funny that I'm glad you get some enjoyment out of this because there wasn't a lot to be gained at the time for it. Oh, not yeah. at all. Absolutely. So have you got uh, any more worst? Are you going to hit oh, up the best? Worst you, video, I was oh, going to yeah. say. Yeah, yeah. Worst video, I mean, there's a lot of contenders, but um, worst video, I'm going to have to give it to... <laughs> this is a left field pick. Yep. Uh, this is Butterfly Kisses by Bobby Carlyle. Yep. Uh, Bob, sorry, Bob Carlyle. Bob yeah. Carlyle is from the Christian music scene. Oh, good. Although this song was fairly popular, it was covered by a lot of different people. Uh, this was written in 1996 for his 15 year old daughter. Uh, now, one way to look at this song and the accompanying video is yep. that it's a sort of schmaltzy but well-intentioned ode penned by a father to his daughter as he watches her reach the first footsteps of adulthood. You know, yep. featuring a lot of breathy. Michael Bolton style net throat choking vocals, a simple melody and a lot of accompanying images of a little girl playing on a swing, slow motion, dancing with her dad, running through a field, etc. Disembodied child's hands playing with flowers, etc. Another way to look at it is the high watermark of Christian America's totally normal fixation on the relationship between a virgin daughter, her white gun owning father and our Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) 
<laughs> that plus the idea that at a certain age, as in one of the tribal societies, these people are super chill about bombing the fuck out of, the father will ceremoniously pass his property, the daughter, over to another adult male who has proven his value by being second in charge of a local ditch ski dealership. Uh, and a third way to look at it is that this song is the sort of thing a sex murderer would send to tell the FBI in a movie about a sex murderer, that Butterfly Kisses would make the perfect name for such a movie, and lastly, that if you played this video in slow motion and got a child to whisper the lyrics of the song over the top, you wouldn't even need to cut a new trailer for the movie Butterfly Kisses, a terrifying expose of a sex murderer lurking in suburbia. Uh, lyrics such as Sweet 16 today, she's looking like her mama a little more every day. One part woman, the other part girl. <laughs> to perfume and makeup from ribbons and curls. Trying her wings out in a great big world. But I remember butterfly kisses after bedtime prayer. Little white flowers all up in her hair. Walk beside the pony, daddy, it's my first ride. I know the cake looks funny, daddy, but I sure tried. Jeez. That was later covered by Westlife. And Cliff Richard, so you know, <laughs> totally, totally normal. And yeah, imagine the video. Whatever you're thinking in your brain, it's that it's something that David Lynch would come up with on a <laughs> slow weekend. Look, fantastic, Tom. And look, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to suggest that Christians should be banned from performing all kinds of music. So I think it's sort of, sure. yeah, it's sort of, you know, well, look, as a society, I think that's where we need to go. To I'm sure he's still touring. Hope so. Uh, okay, <laughs> what have we got to now? Um, look, I've got video of the decade. Sure, yeah, time? let's do it. Oh, look, my video of the decade, Tom, look, it's a tie between MC Hammer, Too Legit to Quit, <laughs> and I don't remember that MC one. Hammer, Pumps and a Bump. So <laughs> I do remember that one. <laughs> yes. So I think Hammer, um, I think this is during his funky headhunter stage, Tom, mm -hmm. so I just think that um, effectively he has produced two of the finest videos of the decade, mm -hmm. and I really couldn't. I tried as hard, I watched them both several times, but sort of, you know, to sort of pull them apart and say which is better than the other. Almost impossible to do. So look, I think I'll start with Too Legit to Quit. So to explain Too Legit to Quit, we need to take a step back, sure. a little bit of a step back in time to a man who died at the right time before investigative journalists could put him behind bars, Michael Jackson. So <laughs> he'd released a series of longer sort of short film style yes, videos. Yes, his we videos know, were so. getting increasingly elaborate as so time went on. So Thriller obviously was a big one and then other ones we've talked about prior in the decade such as Black or White um, where he revealed he's a racist against Asians. <laughs> uh, Jam where we were supposed to believe that he could have been a basketball player. Mm -hmm. Or remember the time where we learned that Michael Jackson was just a pile of dust that could shapeshift into a human. Mm. So, and then but he they really were, hated parked cars. And he, exactly. So Fucking oath he did not They were all cars. Long videos, yep. and he's and he and also you can't you know bad of course as well. He did Ooh. that one as well. Um, he tried to beat it, so yep. he had heaps of these sort of quite cinematic films, I guess, sort of short films. So MC Hammer threw his hat into the ring with this sort of short film style music video, um, and I guess what we're left with is part garbage, part insanity. It goes for fifteen <laughs> minutes, Tom, if you can believe that. So. Fifteen minutes 15 of minutes. yeah, absolutely, very very long. So you start with Jim Belushi playing the role of a newscaster. <laughs> of course you do. Presenting breaking news that quote Hammer is quitting the business. So it's uh, I'm Hammer's quitting. So Jim Belushi's doing that, sort of talking about how oh Hammer's quit, Hammer's quit, and he's also and while he's doing this, Jim Belushi's also doing some alleged comedy, which is sort of just him going like. 
Ah, uh, Hammer. Ah, oh, you think you're so good. It's it's so unfunny that it's sort of... um, Yeah, it's so unfunny that I can't even, you know, fathom to sort of begin what, what that's sort of all about. So, yeah. So, uh, then a bunch of celebrities sort of show up to sort of also say, after Jim Belushi said, oh, look, Hammer's quit. Mm. Can't believe this. Dead. All these celebs, Jim Belushi's like, go. Let's see what the what the public <laughs> is saying. What are the general public saying yep. about Hammer quitting? So we've got Freedom from CNC Music Factory, mm-hmm. David Festino from Married with Children, <laughs> Danny Glover, um, Joe Smith, who's the president of Capitol Records, <laughs> the Boys, whoever the fuck they are. Uh, Henry Winkler shows up. Okay, the um, Fonz, sure. Ralph Trezvant from New Edition. Okay. Tony Danza. <laughs> Donnie and Mark Wahlberg, <laughs> Easy E and DJ Quick, who uh, it's actually quite funny. That's this is the only good part of the video where because they basically say you know all the guys come out and say Hammers quit, Hammers yep. quit, and then they say to um, Easy E Hammers quit, and he's just like who? <laughs> so that's the only funny part of the video. Easy E pretending he doesn't know who Hammer is. Then there's um, Queen Latifah. Uh, Ecstasy and Millie Vanilli. XTC, the uh, British. No, some dude just called Ecstasy. Oh, okay, so, that makes a bit more so sense. So it's a whole fucking poor crew of dudes. So anyway, so they're all saying, "Can't believe Hammers quit. Can't believe they've quit." Then they cut to the James Brown Mansion. Yeah, just sort of where you expect <laughs> the house to go. next door. Um, where Hammers working out in just underpants in the basement for about a minute and a half God in one of the most unnecessary montages ever put to tape. It's just him <laughs> sweating in James Brown's basement, he like was, punching stuff. He it's was crazy. one of the few male rappers to sexually objectify himself mm. <laughs> repeatedly. Like this was not the first time. Oh, he, was fu- he was absolutely ripped. He was absolutely ripped in this. So I don't deny that. So yeah. So anyway, so effectively Hammer asked the Godfather, who is James Brown. Oh, okay. If he can enter his chamber. Um, <laughs> Euphemism. And then the godfather, James Brown, stands, states that, yes, you can enter. James Brown then hits Hammer with a Street Fighter 2-style lightning ball. <laughs> so, like, just goes, <laughs> shoots these lightning balls out. Hammer get, And he does this about 10 times. Hammer's flying around the room, getting okay. hit by all these James Brown things. And, and then all of a sudden he says to him, be strong, good son. Now you have received the gift. Okay. The last fireball that hits Hammer burns clothes onto him. So it's like a sort of reverse fire thing where the fire... I've never seen this before. Fire can, you know, burn stuff away, but the fire burns a suit onto him. That's the magic of the Godfather. Exactly. And then James Brown says to him, look, Hammer, you've got the suit, you're ready to go. Uh, And remember, never quit. Because you're too legit. Uh, and then he asked Hammer to bring back, quote, the glove, end quote. So then Hammer and his posse are astro-projected in a spinning globe into the stadium to perform a song. Hang on, hang on. Sorry, just to interrupt. Yeah. Wasn't Hammer dead? Didn't you tell me that Hammer oh, no, died? Oh, no, he kept getting hit by the street. No, 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 but to... weren't the people at the start of the video... Oh, no, they just said he, he quit. Oh, that was he'd just quit. for quitting. Okay, yeah, he quit the game. Sorry. He wasn't dead. No, he quit. I yeah. was imagining a funeral attended by... The guy from New Edition and Easy now, e. Sorry, Pete, no, 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 no. He just quit. He, he was merely still alive. quit just to quit. Yeah, Imagine so. if he died. Fuck. Now, Tom, 
When I watch this on YouTube, yes. the video is so fucking long that they inserted an ad in the middle of the video clip, if you can believe that. So you wa- so you watch so you're watching this MC Hammer video clip and you've got all that bullshit with him hanging out and it's doing it. It's got an intermission where you exactly. go and it's take an intermission. A piss and exactly. Come exactly, for sure. So then you go take a piss and then you come back and then it's six minutes of the actual song after that fucking nine minute bullshit interlude. And it's um hammer moves including the now popular two legit to quit hand gesture. You know, the two fingers up. Ah, yes. And then the L and then two again and then you do the slice across the like. It is kind of impressive how fast they do it. They've obviously practiced that hand gesture quite a lot. Um, And then there's a part in the middle that just sounds like Mm -hmm. the backing vocalists are saying get fucked, get fucked, get fucked, get fucked, get fucked, get fucked, get fucked over and I don't know what the fuck they're saying but it totally sounds like they're just saying that. And and then he he dance flies over the crowd so he's like dancing but just flying over the crowd. Uh, and then, so that's just six minutes of that. It's going too legit to quit. Dance flying over the crowd. And then at the end of the clip, we see what is purportedly the hand of Michael Jackson with a glove. Uh, doing, and then Mike, the glove. The, glove, the yep. glove does the too legit to quit. <laughs> I suspect it may just be an actor in a, and a replica glove. It might not actually be Michael Jackson. But then look, Hammer did keep releasing music after this. So it did appear that he perhaps was too legit to quit. And also, let's face it, this is basically a Eurodance track. So it's, sort of, <laughs> it's meant to be hip hop, but it sounds like a Eurodance is going. It's, it's a bit of a funky sort of do you Euro. Reckon, do you reckon Michael, because they did hang out a little bit purportedly, do you reckon Michael Jackson encouraged him to really explore the form of the music video as a genre? Mm. And just say, look, if you want to have a seven minute intro and a seven minute outro, a lot of which is just you grabbing your own balls or lying around your underpants, just knock yourself out. Who's Go going to it. stop you? Who is you know? going to stop you? You're exactly too legit. Right. You're too legit to quit. Exactly right. <laughs> so look, it's that's a 15 minutes. Um, too legit. Too legit to I'm quit. I'm trying to do the finger that gesture. Hand, it's well, quite hard. Too legit to... Yeah, I mean, people still do it to this day, <laughs> don't they? I mean, all the time. So look, <laughs> that's probably the, the only clip that is as good as that is uh, MC Hammer's other song, <laughs> Pumps and a Bump. Um, now look, this video clip, if you've not seen this one, Hammer's in his pool with a cordless house phone, mm-hmm. which is great, having talking to someone. And then he tur- he's he got a waterfall that he turns on with a remote control. He, yeah, it's at his mansion in it's, the backyard. He's yes. got a kind of concrete waterfall type yep. swimming pool deal, yes. And then he switches it on with, that, with a remote control, which is great. And then the video, so what happens is the video starts off in black and white. Then he turns on the waterfall um, with a remote control and it turns to colour. It's like very, the Wizard of Oz. It's, it is like the Wizard of Oz, exactly. In many ways, life becomes real once the water fountain is on. <laughs> now, yeah, as you said, this is filmed at Hammer's house in Oakland. Ah, and yes. apparently Hammer's wife was out for the day, purportedly. This is sort of the rumour that... Um, uh, actually, interestingly, I used to work with... When I lived in Tokyo, I lived with a girl who was from um, Oakland. And okay. she said that... Um, if you went past Hammer's house, it was just like a big gate and it had like two hammers crossed <laughs> on like the fence, which is fucking so sick. Like just two sort of like metallic hammers on there. So yeah, apparently this is his house in Oakland. Um, wife was out for a day and when she returned home, she was distressed to find, you know, like a hundred chicks just in bikinis, mm. like doing, doing dancing around and whatever. So the weirdest thing is that he was married. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's completely bizarre. But what Sorry. makes this video so great is that Hammer's wearing a zebra swimsuit 
and has a boner for the whole video clip. By a swimsuit, do you mean man thong? Man thong, yeah. He basically <laughs> just is wearing the smallest mm. sort of, uh, what, man thong bikini yes. you've ever seen. We're not talking just, like tasteful Calvin Klein's here nah. or whatever. We're talking a, a men's swimming pouch. Of the kind that you really only see these days on 65-year-old Italian men on Perth's beaches. Absolutely. And he's erect the entire fucking yes. time. Yeah, we're not just talking about he's tucked a sock in there or no. he's bulge. He's like, Absolutely. he's packing half a bar. Absolutely boned up to the max. <laughs> um, where are those hammer pants when you need them? I think that's the sort of the question that a lot of so people So then the question asking. becomes... Could this possibly have been an accident? Like he was just getting so happy looking at his waterfall and yep. his chicks. Or did he do that on purpose? Like male stripper style, you know, get it, get half a bar, put an elastic band around it, you know, just for the effect. Like, well, look, it's really hard to know what's going on with this. But look, um, I think what happened was also a lot of, uh, I think MTV refused to play this. A lot of mm-hmm. music video places referred to it. So they had to make an alternate music video where everyone's just wearing way too many clothes. So I think uh, sort of... Yeah overcompensating for the fact that there's the lack of clothes in this original one. Yeah. And um, look, Hammer was referring to himself as the funky headhunter at this point, as I mentioned. <laughs> and look, maybe drugs are involved and this whole thing was just a cry for maybe help. I don't really know. Don't, I don't really know. I'm sure this everyone at that party was just high on life. <laughs> Absolutely. So look, they're my two favourite video clips of the year. And an honourable mention goes to um, Adam's Groove. Um, oh yeah, where, that's more fun. Yeah, I mean, where Hammer, he gets to Decapitated with a guillotine in the first scene, and then we just see a decapitated <laughs> hammer head bouncing around the Adams family mansion, rapping. Um, sure. And then he's in a spinning device from like Lawnmower Man as well. After <laughs> oh, that, oh, one so, of those centrifuge things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so it's red hot. Sure. So what do you have? For um, me? All right. Well, what else have we got? Uh, best album, best song. Yeah. Hit me with uh, both oh one. no, I was going to do music video, wasn't I? Sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, like the no, the '90s was truly a golden era for music videos. I reckon. Do you think so? Oh, not without a doubt. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, some things I think I might be being a bit nostalgic about, but truly, I think like, yeah, I don't know if it's going to be beaten again. Like, thanks to the music that was in vogue at the time, the variety of stuff, the limits of like effects, the sort of sexless fashion, and the fact that freeware TV was still pretty censorious for instance, like you couldn't just have giant photorealistic wrapping CGI dinosaur genitals, you know, <laughs> because of that, people had to be more inventive and they generally were like people like Spike Jones, David Fincher, Chris Cunningham, Michael Gondry, Mark Romanek, Gus Van Sant and so forth were doing stuff in three minutes that most mainstream movie guys couldn't pull off in two hours. Like, and yeah, I mean, if you start looking at music videos there's really like iconic music videos from the 90s there's too much gold to choose from you've got Smells Like Teen Spirit In Bloom Coming On by The Shaman which features like three dozen dancing Jason Stathams wearing only leopard print budgie smugglers (laughs) before he was famous there's Learn to Fly by The Foo Fighters where the band play the entire crew and all the passengers of 747 and then Tenacious D gives everybody drugs Setting Sun by the Chemical Brothers, Window Liquor and Cumber Daddy by FX Twin. Uh, there's Scream, that's the video where Michael 
and Janet Jackson finally switch places and become one person <laughs> in a spaceship, which they probably owned. It's always by Bon Jovi. We've already mentioned that. There's Prince doing Get Off at the 1991 MTV Awards, which is like the Fall of Rome with arseless chaps. Every video Bjork released for a decade. All is Full of Love, Human Behavior, the Ren and Stimpy one directed by a pedophile. Maybe not so much that one, but, you know, really, there was... But So I've tried to narrow it down to just something that was really iconic, not necessarily the highest quality, perhaps. And I ended up with Smack My Bitch Up by The Prodigy, mm. uh, previously mentioned, fairly controversial song, for obvious reasons. Uh, the video was directed by Jonas Ackerland, Ackerland, who was a former member of the black metal band Bathory before going all hardcore as the director of Roxette's music videos. <laughs> <laughs> he did pretty much all of their earlier videos. He went on to work for Madonna, Pink, Ramstein, Lady Gaga, Duran Duran, etc., etc. He's still doing music videos today. Um, he's done a number of controversial ones recently, even including Pussy by Ramstein, which is basically hardcore pornography. Yep. And he did the Telephone uh, Lady Gaga song, which is the one where Lady Gaga goes to jail and then Beyonce rescues her and so forth. Um, Anyway, the song Smack My Bitch Up was dodgy enough, thanks to the chorus, which is a sort of sample of a cool Keith song. Uh, most radio stations wouldn't play it. The older ones for the swearing and the younger ones for the misogyny, or implied. Uh, the video takes place in first person, which makes it extra confronting, and features, among other stuff, binge drinking, cocaine use, violence against men, violence against women, sexual violence, sex work, nudity, intravenous drug use, vomiting, property destruction, grand theft auto, drink driving, lesbian sex, and doing a wee-wee in a toilet. Uh, Jack Thompson, for instance, probably wouldn't have liked this <laughs> video very much. According to Liam Howlett, there's a realness to that video. Most people have had nights out like that, off their head on coke and drink. It's not to everyone's taste, but not everything we do is. No radio station was going to play the song, so we thought we'd make a video that no one would fucking play either. Um, so yeah, despite all of that, the song got to 41 on the ARIA charts, was a top 10 hit in Finland, Scotland, Norway, New Zealand, Hungary, Spain and the UK. Whatever else you reckon, there is something to be said for writing a chart hit that's so calculatedly offensive that even now, 25 years later, when you can say cunt on TV, most stations still won't play it. With a video that you still can't watch on YouTube, yeah, it's still not, not on yep. <laughs> or most TV channels. It's not just sex and violence either. Like, I reckon he's onto something uh, with the video anyway. Watching someone throw up on camera is never great, but watching someone throw up from a first-person yep. perspective, especially against the wall of a car park under a flickering streetlight, will give a lot of people a moment of sort of involuntary visceral recall that they didn't really need, yep. which you can't just get from just showing some actor pretending to chuck up pea soup, you know. Yeah. What did you think? Do you still find a reaction to that video or does it all just seem a bit sort of 90s and, you know, Oh, no, it's the best. It's, I, think, I think it's absolutely the best video of the decade. It's probably... <laughs> no, I honestly legitimately would have selected probably the same one. So it's... um, I watched it a few days ago um, just oh, okay. off the basis that I thought you would choose this one. <laughs> oh, Based really? on oh, previous okay. discussions. Um, <laughs> still fucking great. It's a, it's a really, really good song. Um, super catchy. And yeah, you're right. They chose a sample or whatever the lyrics for the chorus that made them know that it wouldn't yeah. be a popular song. So as they said, why not produce an equally not yeah. you know, watchable video? video. I remember watching it on Rage in the 90s and they'd put like a warning before yes. the clip that came yep. on. Um, 
But look, it's it's really good because it is just such a sort of, you're right, very visceral sort of video clip. Um, and look, don't want to spoil it, but there's like an M. Night fucking <laughs> Shyamalan, Shyamalan style yeah. twist at the end. that just sort of like, yeah. it's sort of, you don't, you know, it's like effectively, holy shit, Bruce Willis was dead the whole time in the Sixth Sense type action. So twist at the end, great video clip. Um, it is really, really well done. And I think, um, I can't really recall seeing a music video in recent years that sort of sticks with you. No. You know what I mean? Like it no. really it sticks with you. Even if even if you don't like the song, I mean that's sort of irrelevant. I think sort of it's a music video that you watch and you sort of and I feel like there was a period of time um where everybody would play um like we have guest programmers yes. doing rage in Australia, which yeah. I guess means sort of weekly music video thing where they'll get someone to choose their, their favourite video clips. Yeah, it might be a visiting band yeah, or exactly. a local artist who's coming up or whatever and just say, hey, can you just choose three hours worth yeah. of music videos and then introduce them occasionally. And I'd say there was a period of time where every single musician <laughs> chose Come, Come to, to Daddy. Daddy window or Liquor. Window Liquor. Yeah, or, one of those Apex. Yeah, or, smack yeah. my bitch up. Exactly. And I think um, this is the, the one of the three that sort of probably is less uh, known these days I or think less so. popular yeah. probably because it is just hard certainly people don't know Jonas Ackerland as well no, as they know Chris no, Cunningham no. even though Chris Cunningham seems to have vanished off the face of the earth and Jonas Ackerland is still doing videos now as absolutely mentioned. but yeah you can get um, I think you can watch the other ones on YouTube but the fact that you can't watch this on YouTube you have it's to it's saying something isn't it for sure well, Lady Gaga was deliberately trying to be as edgy as possible like that telephone video is fairly edgy it's got yep. some you know but it's still nothing. <laughs> she still wouldn't do this. Now. No, no. So, it's button pushing, but it works. Like, it's not empty. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's really, really good. Um, and, yeah, I think it's that comment, that, that sort of that quote that you read from The Prodigy, I think that's oh, sort of spot on yeah. where it's just sort of, if no one's going to play it, you may as well do something. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, just pay some guy. Um, and it's cool because when you do music videos, a lot of the, the, the whole point of them is publicity really to sort of yes. get them played and to get them shown. So to make a music video that you know no one's going to show. Exactly. Um, yeah, fantastic. And, and so. one other thing too, like for any young bands out there or people who are sort of starting out, as I sort of previously mentioned, this video would not have cost that much money to make. Yeah. Like this is not the kind of thing that would require special effects, you know, or not, you know, complicated stuff that didn't need to be cast. You don't need special locations or anything. You could make something that sticks in people's heads 30 years later with not that much money, really, if you just have a really good idea yeah, or you're look, willing to do something really interesting. I think if the director, or the director obviously had a, the idea of what they wanted to do and it's sort of like if you've just got a yeah. camera... And it's like we can do this in a night out. You can yeah. you can go to a nightclub. <laughs> you just need a few very game actors, and you yeah. can just punch. Some, yeah, exactly right. So it sort of seems like yeah. yeah. I'd be yeah really interested to know whether they sort of did the whole thing in like one evening or yeah. how they went about doing it. But yeah. yeah, very very good. So fantastic. Yeah. Um, what should we finish off with? What have we got? You got um, more categories, or you want to do best song best? I don't want to do best anything, Tom, because nothing, nothing's good. <laughs> I'm joking. No, that's all right. No, no, it's fine. You do whatever you like. Absolutely. Look, I've got my artist of the decade. Yeah, um, please. I'm going to pull out. So is that something, is that is now the right time? Yeah, go for it. Fantastic. All right, cool. So look, 
Um, I don't want to disappoint anyone here, but my artist of the decade is obviously Vanilla Ice. Uh, <laughs> goes without saying. So, so I mean, he's left an indelible. Yeah, look, you know, I, I could choose a very, you know, someone obscure. You know, people might be like, oh, why didn't you choose, <laughs> you know, Moby? Hey, this is a podcast about number ones, okay? You know. Oh, look, the reason I've chosen Vanilla Rice um, as artist of the decade is because at the start of the decade, <laughs> unknown. No one knew who he was, yeah? So. Yep. Uh, True. Then he dropped Ice Ice Baby in August 1990, so very, very start of the decade. And look, effectively, this was just the baseline of another already popular song, Under Pressure. Uh, and then that was just the whole song. So did that, just got the sample of Under Pressure, <laughs> did some pretty shit raps over the top of it, and he was massive. So sure. re- released in 19, September 1990, To The Extreme, which was just a reworked version of Hooked, um, which was released in on an independent label in the late 1989, I think it mm-hmm. was. So sold 11 million copies. And that's pretty impressive considering the album was effectively just Ice Ice Baby uh, and nothing (laughs) else that was memorable. (laughs) A terrible cover of Play That Funky Music and that was effectively it. But um, what I like about the album is it also featured the completely forgotten single I Love You, um, which had an accompanying music music video by Michael Bay. Michael Bay directed a video from I Love You. Yeah, so you can mention him as well. He started out doing music videos too. Um, And at this stage, Vanilla Ice is full American flag sequent tracksuit, <laughs> which must be, and also, I love you, legitimately, and I'm, uh, I say this with no hyperbole, must be one of the worst songs of the 90s, by, without a shadow of a doubt. If you think Vanilla Ice is... I think I've heard it. Oh, it is. I mean, that's the thing. It's forgotten. Like, yep. it is so bad that it's just completely forgotten. But if you think Vanilla Ice's rapping was inadequate, then wait until you hear him talk sing... <laughs> over some real low-budget New Jack Swing type material. So it's just awful. The chorus is literally just him not even trying to sing, just saying, I love you, over again. Oh, God. I love you. I love you. And it also, (laughs) the weirdest thing is, two-thirds of the way through the song, you know, usually in a lot of these sort of 90s dance, sort of 90s songs, you'd have sort of like the singing bit and then there'd be the rap part of the way through. But because he's sort of talks singing semi rapping the whole way through <laughs> they sort of figure that they need to do something different in that sort of bridge part so what they do is you get a, a spoken word part where vanilla rice is doing it over a telephone um, <laughs> oh i know that effect they yeah. used to do that in the but, 90s yeah they'd have yeah. a middle bit where they'd be it's like you, you're cutting to them earnestly talking, talking to the partner they've done it, yeah, yeah they've done the telephone Baby, effect know, yeah it's oh. exactly that <laughs> Um, but this part that. with him talking on the, on the telephone in the middle part, it sounds like it was ad-libbed in one take. It's so inane, even by Vanilla Ice standards. It's sort of wow. as if they he hadn't pre-prepared it because he just goes on the phone and just goes, Girl, when I first saw you, it was love at first sight. You know we've been dating for about two years now, and I still feel the same. <laughs> I know I haven't said it much before because it gets all choked up inside and it just won't come out. But I love you. It's fucking so bad. I can't believe that someone in the studio didn't say, dude, 
This is fucking woeful. Let's just not do well, this. Well, I will so. give credit to whoever the fuck wrote the script for Cool as Ice, the <laughs> globe-spanning globe exactly. blockbuster smash uh, vanilla ice vehicle. Yeah. They do not give him any dialogue like that in the film. No. He almost never has to say anything actually earnest or delivered with any emotional complexity to it because they probably figured out what he would happen yeah. if he did do that. Exactly. So, look, so he released, yeah, obviously to the extreme, 11 million copies which is crazy when you consider that it has yeah one hit one shitty cover and then a bunch of other garbage and then yeah. this was this success sort of i guess the record label said look let's pump this out hardcore so this was backed up with a completely unnecessary live album <laughs> released less than six months after to the extreme in march mm. 1991 so it featured a couple of new songs but it was just sort of like a live let's do the <laughs> shitty ice ice baby and other stuff Sold over 500,000 copies in the US, so not too bad for a pretty bad live album. And then there was an appearance on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze soundtrack, sure. released around the same time as the live track, and uh, sorry, the live mm. album, and that he did the ninja rap. You may go ninja, go ninja, he go. He actually go. had a bit of a public feud with MC Hammer, if I recall correctly. <laughs> he absolutely did, yeah, definitely. Um, and it was also around this time that he <laughs> weirdly featured in the Madonna sex book. Remember oh that? yeah, so, yes. I think were they briefly dated yeah. for a, just for a moment in the nineties. So kind of- there was a period of time where Vanilla Ice was the biggest thing in the world, and so was mm. Madonna. And they and obviously their paths crossed to the point that he ended up in the sex book, which is <laughs> just seems completely bizarre now to think that Madonna <laughs> would have dated Vanilla Ice, but who the fuck knows? So yeah. Anyway, then the film Cool as Ice arrived in October oh, 1991 yeah. with the accompanying soundtrack. As we mentioned earlier, the, the first single off that soundtrack, Everyone, Everybody Get Loose, features Naomi Campbell um, on lead vocals. So, look, certainly <laughs> we're known vocals. for yep, lead what vocals. What the so. fuck were they thinking? So, 10 tracks on the album, Vanilla Ice performed about half of them. So, look, in a little over a year, he had the first uh, rap number one single, mm-hmm. um, rap number one album, um, he'd sold 11 million albums. Yep. He had a live album, soundtrack appearance on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, a film, and yep. his own soundtrack accompanying that film. Wow. He was riding so, high. <laughs> absolutely riding high. Now, weirdly, his second album was released in 1994, and it seemed that he'd burned through all of his Ice Ice Baby goodwill by the time <laughs> that Mind Blowing uh, was released. Which sold 40,000 copies. Oh, baby. So, well, hang on. When did the first album come out? Um, 1990. Okay. And so he sold spent, 11 million. So, he spent four years smoking weed. Yeah. And that, strangely, did not improve his songwriting prowess. Yeah. And look, <laughs> this 40,000. Down from oh 11 million. God. So, look, this is raises a number of questions. So, for <laughs> me, what I found interesting was that, look, so his record label, okay, so... Mm. They've, they've got an artist on their hands that has sold 11 million albums. Yeah. So effectively at that point, you sort of think, okay, we've sold 11 million albums with one song. Wouldn't you be doing everything you could as a record label to say, hey, look, we've got this guy. Let's get, you know, if we can capture even a fraction of that success, fantastic. Mm. So who are the hottest producers? Let's get those guys. Let's hire the guys. Yeah. Someone that's really big to produce the album, get a songwriter in to maybe help with the lyrics. You just do anything that you can, you know what I mean? Because mm. it's sort of like, even if you sell a quarter of that, you're still selling two, three million albums. Yeah. You're doing a pretty good job. So it sort of, you know, it goes back to why did they say, let's do a live, because it was the same record label that said, let's do the live album. 
Let's do the Teenage Mutant Ninja soundtrack. Let's do Cool as mm-hmm. Ice. The record label sort of did all those things. Whereas perhaps if they had have just put a bit of money into saying, <laughs> let's just try and make another rap album that's yeah, the same as sort of quality. Yeah, before people figure out what's going on. So Tom also <laughs> mind blowing, um, <laughs> complete image makeover. If you mm. don't, if you can recall that. <laughs> So 11 million albums, you just think, let's just stick with the formula. But this was so poorly thought out, bong smoking phrase mm. of Vanilla Ice. He had dreadlocks. Of course um, he did. And he was of like rocking it out. Now, Tom, the single Roll em Up. <laughs> You've smoked marijuana before, haven't you? <laughs> Once or twice. Once or sure. twice. Um, we have, you and we, both of us have sort of our mutual friends that have been smoking marijuana for, for 20, 25 years. Mm-hmm. Yep, correct. <laughs> Almost, you know, effectively their entire adult life. Yes. So, you know, we've been in and around mm. the marijuana. That's time. fair to say. Is sure. that fair to say? Yeah. That we, we know that sort of thing? <laughs> yep. Um, so thinking about your own experiences, my own experiences, our friends that are in there, and just sort of associates <laughs> that you've met across sure. the years that sort of have offered you drugs or sort of met to sort of smoke <laughs> some of that marijuana... Have you ever once heard anyone say to them, say to you, Tom, uh, you want to roll up the Hootie Mac? <laughs> no, no, I can't Never. say that. I Never. Never. Anyone invite me to roll um, up the Hootie Vanilla Mac? Ice in the song Roll Em Up. The chorus is roll up, roll up the Hootie Mac. Come on, roll up, roll up the Hootie Mac. <laughs> That may be one of the problems with the album, Tom, that if you're going to be singing about smoking the marijuana, you probably want to use vernacular that's actually sort of mm. used by the general public rather than making your up your own. I suppose so it might explain the name of the band Hootie and the Blowfish, which doesn't do. make much sense. Might be about rolling up the Hootie map, perhaps. <laughs> I don't really know. So that song's terrible, as is the other single, um, <laughs> The Wrath. Just fucking absolute garbage. But here's the thing, like, how bad must of the stuff between... To the extreme in this bean, where ninety nine point five percent of your fan base drop off because yeah. you've sold eleven million. Now you've sold fifty forty thousand. Oh, I think the world changed pretty quickly. Yeah, and in every aspect of it, I think also possibly the whole bong smoking thing might have had something to do with the fact that. Not only had all other forms of popular music changed, but hip hop, the genre that he theoretically belonged to, had also <laughs> drastically changed. Yeah. So not only was a white guy out of fashion, but his the whole style of MC Hammer type dance rap was completely out of fashion as well. Yeah. It was like, well, no one's going to buy him as a gangster rapper. Like, so what are we going to do here? Well, the only cool, it's, it's the only way to go is the Kevin Feedline route, where people hopefully, will, people will think he's cool if he smokes a lot of bongs. Yeah. <laughs> it turns out that that doesn't work, especially if you've got white dreadlocks. Yeah, I guess um, Cypress Hill Black Sunday had just come out, <laughs> and so everyone was all about mm-hmm. smoking the weed. That's so, right. So look, that was um, that went real bad. Uh, yeah, it didn't go great. So much so that by the next album, um, nineteen ninety eight, he'd had to completely reinvent himself again. Uh, this <laughs> sure. time, Tom in a rap metal band, okay. because obviously <laughs> wicked uh, wisdom style. <laughs> wicked wisdom style. Nineteen ninety four, things didn't work out with his rolling up the hoodie Mac. So fortunately, between then and nineteen ninety eight, we had um, sort of your corn, your limp biscuit type thing. True. So he released an album, Hard to Swallow, oh, which was a, a rap metal version 
of Vanilla Ice's, you know, patented moves. And so much so that he also did a cover of Ice Ice Baby on that called Too Cold, where he just um, new metals up Ice Ice Baby. It's always a good sign, desperately covering yourself. Yeah, exactly. And look, I don't think I need to say this, Tom, when I say that album was also terrible. Mm. So look, uh, the reason he's my artist of of the decade is because I find it amazing that he went from unknown to biggest dude in the world through to requiring two image and music <laughs> makeovers within the space of 10 years. Yeah. And then at the end of that sort of being kind of a joke, but then as time has sort of gone mm. on, I think his influence is kind of, <laughs> is it undeniable? He's, he's become kind of ironically yeah, exactly. funny. Yep. But yeah, I don't think his musical influence no, has lasted. His so musical long. influence is not at all Culturally, though. For sure. Look, the, the number of copycat white rappers that sort of came after that was sort of um, yeah. obviously a lot. But look, the fact that he's a white rapper of dubious quality mm. <laughs> doesn't necessarily <laughs> suggest that um, we should look at that as a good thing. But look, definitely. Um, hey, look. In terms of credibility, it's it's funny because I think that you look at someone like Eminem and I don't really know whether Eminem obviously significantly more talented as a <laughs> as a rapper yeah. and as a lyricist, but I wonder if those sort of people looked at Vanilla Rice and just went, I can't just come out and be like a white rapper. I need to <laughs> hitch my wagon to some... Because, you know, Eminem obviously you know, teamed up with Dr. Dre, who was obviously yeah. very credible because of his work in NWA, etc. And that sort of, mm. I don't know whether that helped, whether it was sort of like, you're a white rapper, but you have the respect of sort of, yeah, know, a, a, a hip hop legend in the sense of by, by the yeah. time, by the late nineties, you know, Dr. Dre was obviously someone that had been around for 10 years and everyone it might was have, in, probably in a good way. It might've sent the message to record companies, even the ones owned, run by old white guys, which is most of them. Say like, look, don't bother with white rappers unless they've actually got actual talent. Yes, yeah, more true. like this is the world no longer by 1994. The world can no longer support a guy who's just white and can dance. And the novelty of the fact that he's sort of rapping a bit is done. So don't, yep. don't come, don't come back. Don't talk to me again unless Dr. Dre gives you the stamp of approval. Absolutely. But weirdly, I'd say that in 2021, there's still dog shit white rappers that get by just on the... Ah, yes, but now we've come back again because Eminem and so forth have made it sort of, you know, that it's potentially possible again, (laughs) you know, (laughs) unfortunately, probably, because most of them aren't as good as Eminem. (laughs) Yeah. Cool, all right. I'll edit this out later and think of a better... Artist of the decade. No, <laughs> no, no, no. Hey, look, cool. like culturally, certainly he made a huge footprint. But yeah. Absolutely. Cool, Tom. What uh, What do you want to do? Uh, best album? Yeah. I was going to do, um, uh, look, okay, best album, the 90s. That is almost impossible, but, you know, arbitrarily. Um, well, look, OK Computer by Radiohead, that was 1997. Yep. Dave Grohl said he saw them play Paranoid Android on stage after that album came out. And he said he felt like it was another musical sort of mini revolution, just the way like grunge had been. And he, like he was watching it sort of happening, which is kind of ironic because grunge was where Radiohead started from. They, with like Pablo Honey, 
um, yep. and Creep, obviously, which, uh, yeah, sort of... Uh, shortly afterwards, anyway, OK Computer was voted the best album of all time by Q Magazine. Obviously, voting works of art best is fucking dumb, but that one was voted on by thousands of their own readers, not just staff of the magazine. And it was interesting in that they actually put an album made after 1972 in the top 10, <laughs> because usually, like with Rolling Stone, it's just the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. Yep. Although it definitely benefited from the fact that that came out after shortly after the album. But that said, The Bends is a Radiohead album that even people who don't like Radiohead like. It is an album that a lot of people still wish Radiohead would go back to sounding like, if only because they probably could if they really wanted to. But you know how all the young kids totally respect Pearl Jam for committing to dad rock 15 years ago. But it is still a fucking great album. There really isn't a shit song on it. Even OK Computer has a stumble or two on it, but... More than that, this was their sophomore album, The Bends, after the not particularly good Pablo Honey featuring just one hit, the frankly fairly embarrassing Creep, which they hated Hated, long before they stopped playing it live. If this album had sucked or even been acceptable but without any standouts, that could have been the end of it. That could have been the end of their entire career and then we never would have got AQ Computer or Kid A or I Might Be Wrong or In Rainbows or Moonshape Pool or any of their amazing live shows or anything. Uh, Richard Kingsmill once said that you could make a pretty good case for the Benz being the best album of the 90s. And I have to say, in terms of lasting appeal, I would say that, it, you know, it's a valid argument, certainly. Yep. That's, it. That's all I've got. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. Fantastic. I reckon Definitely. the Benz is pretty great still, I have to say. Yeah, look, it's interesting because um, obviously Radiohead, I think with that album, OK Computer, said, oh, look, as a guitar band, we've probably reached the zenith of what we can do. So that by, yeah, after that, they sort of tried to else. go a bit more electronic, yeah. do a few things without guitars. So as a very guitar band to sort of ditch the guitars, it's sort of like, I guess you've sort of themselves have said this is as, probably as good as we can do within this sort of type yeah. of structure so and i think yeah people really enjoy their 90s output probably i don't know like i'm not i'm not one of those radiohead sort of fans where i sort of know whether people are loving the newer things yeah. as much as the older stuff but you know i think for me personally those are the ones that sort of stand out as you said so yeah so yeah definitely um look tom for me i think probably my um album of the decade would be uh two unlimited hits unlimited so <laughs> i think um when you're going to choose uh an album of the decade i think a greatest hits compilation is probably the way to go because mm. what it does is it sort of collects <laughs> the best songs from several albums. So, sure. you know, it's hard. Greatest songs. Oh, exactly. The, the, the hits, the unlimited hits, the hits <laughs> unlimited. I mean, it's, it's really difficult. I mean, you, I mean, cause you're talking about Radiohead and you've, you've mentioned a few albums. Yeah. A couple of different ones. I was trying to be clever. Really. I was, I was voting for the Benz. I was saying. Yeah. Sort of, you so know, you sort of said yeah. the Benz, but you did mention, okay. Computer I did, as well. Yes. So you've, you've mentioned a couple, whereas with me, I, I'm taking a more, I guess, traditional view of just sure. mentioning one album Tom, because it's the album of the decade. I'm not, I'm not, Gonna, I'm not beating around the bush no, with other albums. Okay. I'm just choosing one album. It is a greatest and it's the greatest hits <laughs> album, which sure. I think sort of, by very definition, mm. combines all of those hits from various albums. I mean, I don't, you know, No Limit, Get Ready for This, Twilight Zone, Tribal Dance, Workaholic. You know, I don't. It, it, they're all on one album. So I think for me personally, 
Um, two Unlimited are one of the finest uh, Euro dance artists of the decade. They sure are. We didn't get a chance to talk about them much because they never had a number one hit in Australia. They were in the big four though, weren't they? They were in the big four of Eurodance. Um, and as I think we may have mentioned, they did have a song that was the theme song for the Hobart Tennis Centre for about <laughs> 15 years. So, uh, which is, And I think that sort of just shows how good they are that Hobart mm. Tennis Centre didn't say, let's get rid of Get Ready For This and get, you know, Avril no. Lavigne in or, you know, like um, the LFO sort of thing or like, you you know, like detachable penis. They could have done that, but they said, mm. we're sticking with, you know, two unlimited because we know how good they are. Now, so. I only got a B in grade 10 English, but, yep. but even I know that you can't spell Rocco Steadford without two unlimited. <laughs> you absolutely cannot, for sure. Every Rocker Steadford since uh, Two Unlimited has been around until now, there mm. is a there's one of their songs. Because they've got such a dynamic, emotional, thematic range. <laughs> they you know, do. They just do. name me a situation that doesn't have a Two Unlimited song that's directly relevant to it. Oh, look, you I, can't. Absolutely, I I, I live my life. You know, um, in you know my one of my favorite film series, obviously Fast and the Furious. How sure. the guy says, <laughs> "I live my life a quarter mile at a time." Sure does. <laughs> I won't forget I think, that. I think did you say that? I saw that, in a, a bit, I saw yeah. that in that live audience. So yes. I, I live my life a quarter mile at a time. It's the sound of popcorn buckets hitting the screen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yes. Um, I live my life 160 BPMs at a time, mm, Tom. And that's, mm. what to only, that's their sweet spot, Tom, I think. So, absolutely. Well, I like to reach for the sky as much as the next man, Ben. <laughs> definitely, definitely. <laughs> So yeah, what and uh, oh, best going to round off. Uh, what's what's your you got a final category? Have you got a few uh, best more? song. I was oh gonna yeah, say. yeah, go, that's go, that's go, all go, I've go, got. Go. Um, look, you know, again, it's almost impossible to do it. But if I had to pick one out of the hat, just from looking back through listening to stuff, doing this, like listening to a bunch of older things, I'm going to vote for the best song for Cannonball by the Breeders. Yep. That was 1993. That was number eight in France, 39 in the Billboard Top 40, 58 in Australia. So Nevermind only came out like the year or two before. And this song just shows how strange and varied the genre of grunge could be. 30 years yep. later, it's just as rad, I reckon, as it ever was. It's just as weird and mystifying. It's musically inventive, sort of lo-fi and silly, but produced with real care. Like... You can play this while you drive or you can blast it at full volume in a party. People will rock out. It's weirdly feminine and ballsy without seemingly trying at all, making any effort, really. Beck's Loser was pretty close to this vibe, but this is more musically inventive and less sort of insular and self-focused. Also, every single grunge kid had a crush on Kim Deal, and Mm. this video also features her identical twin sister. Oh. And how can you not like a stick tap on the cymbal stand to start a song, then throw in a bass slide as well, and this weird harmonica microphone vocal distortion, which is someone like singing too close to a harmonica microphone. It's got a rad fake out silence in the middle and a fake ending, plus the lyric, I'll be your whatever you want. The video is directed by Spike Jones and Kim Gordon, did I mention that there were identical twin sisters in ah. the band? And also they're standing around mirrors half the time, so you keep thinking it's like a mistake. Yep. Uh, it's got it all, that song. I love it. It's still fucking great. Fantastic. I saw them uh, about, fucking oh, this is going to make me sound and feel old as it did at the time, but about oh, nearly 10 years ago, they did a 
20 year okay. tour for yep. this one of those ones where they just play the whole album yep. like the Weezer did with the Blue Album oh, and yeah, various yeah. other people bunch of grunge bands same as the Weezer I went to see the Weezer Blue Album one as well it was the same crowd it was everyone in the crowd was either my age or older yep. all slightly overweight with uh, scars from tribal tattoos old facial piercings that have been <laughs> removed everyone's wearing a carefully faded original not from Super A no. band shirt yeah. that they've kept in the cupboard since they saw some other band not of the actual band because only losers do that PCU pit party tortoise you yeah. don't wear the shirt from yeah. the band to the band <laughs> so yeah but it was fun you know it was fun to hang about in a bunch of Gen X's you know and watch these incredibly talented Musicians who are all still liking this video just wearing normal clothes. Absolutely. Like, no one's fucking posing or doing anything, you know. The sound mix isn't that great, but it's grunge. It was never that fucking great. Yeah. <laughs> Even Indeed. in the music video, the mix isn't that great. Yeah, anyway. Fantastic. That was good, a good, good. time. What Definitely. about you? Have you got a... Oh, Tom, I think my song of the decade is, without a shadow of a doubt, um, Spin Doctors. <laughs> Two Princes. Two Princes. Um, I mean, what can you say? Look, for, I look for songs that lyrically Shakespeare could have written. You know what I mean? Like when, when I when I look at the mm. lyrics, I just go, "Wait a minute, is this Two Princes is, of Verona?" Is is exactly is this a current artist, or have they just reworked? You know, one of Shakespeare's finest sonnets, or and I think with Spin Doctors, I think you could be confused. I think I think if you sort of wrote those lyrics down and then handed them to a Shakespeare sort of, you know, a scholar and said, "Is this one of his works?" or they'd they'd be they wouldn't exactly know. And I think what the song says to me is that sort of musically, it's fantastic, obviously, and um, you know, it's sort of it, what it does is it, it reminds me of just a bunch of friends kicking the old hacky sack around, Tom, and just having a good old time. <laughs> with like a big funny hat or something like that and just sort of enjoying life and maybe um, appropriating some culture but not thinking but, about yeah, it too hard exactly yet. exactly but also sort of it, it questions you know um two when it comes you know there's there's two princes tom you know one one is sort of um marry him or marry me you know one is sort mm. of the, the wealthier guy um and one is sort of the the guy that you know i guess the mm. protagonist in the song who's sort of like look i don't come from a wealthy background but look just love me for who I am so um which is it's I think it's a great song that sort of really just talks about relationships and what it is to just really find true love um and I think uh, there's a lyric in the song that's something along the lines of um I don't have no riches or family tree um or I don't even have a future I believe mm. I no I think I don't have no future or, or family, family tree, tree. so right. and I think that's important to sort of realize so he's not that offering a lot no really. no and and that's what's great about the song is that it's sort of saying that look <laughs> I don't have a family tree. I don't have, you know, that background, but just love me for who I am. I don't, I don't, I can't offer you any future because I have no qualifications or skills or education, but love at the end of the day, Tom, I, I think that love will always find a way, no matter whether the person that, you know, you're in love with or that you, you know, you're in a relationship with someone, um, you've got nothing to give them whatsoever, um, at all. <laughs> And what spin doctors have said is it doesn't matter whether you have whether you offer nothing, yes. absolutely nothing, no family heritage, 
no education, no skills, no, no money, nothing at all. But it, none of that matters, Tom. Mm. In fact, being a complete dead shit <laughs> doesn't matter if you offer someone nothing mm. at all. But if you love them enough, yes. love will find a way. There is a and, storied tradition, isn't there? It goes back to um, from I've Got You, Babe, to that Bob Marley song where he talks about on my single bed. Yeah. That of like, hey... Our life is a total pile of shit, but, you know, being in love will somehow fix all of the other problems. Exactly. And that's, this is another song Mm. in that long tradition (laughs) that's just a great song that just says, love will overcome. Love will overcome. Don't worry about it. So women, if if, any ladies out there listening to this, if you meet a guy that is a complete fucking dead shit with nothing to offer you Mm. whatsoever... Love will find a way, Tom. I think that's what that says. So thank you for Spin Doctors for that. I think it's great. Um, Look, have you got anything else, Tom? I think think we've wrapped up the 90s pretty well. You can talk about the 90s for a thousand years because there's so much (laughs) happening. But look, thank you for listening. Um, We'll be back next week with the year 2000, Tom. If you can believe that, that's pretty impressive. Now, I I don't edit these these podcasts ever, but um, is this going for six hours? Do I need to cut out like... (laughs) A little bit of it. I don't know. We'll have a look later on. Okay. Thank you very much. We'll see you next week. Check out whatever uh, YouTube playlist we do because we're gonna have we're gonna have all the links to all these (laughs) amazing songs. Um, It's gonna go for seven hours because the the MC Hammer video clips themselves. Oh, I I think Pumps and the Bumps about three hours long. Exactly right. For (laughs) sure. Thank you. See you later.